Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. You're rocking with the most awesome missing. The Carl Nelson Show. You're rocking with the most awesome missing. All right, let's go. And good morning, Wake Up Squad, and thanks for starting your Thursday with us. Later, Chicago activist Chairman Fred Hampton will be in our classroom. The chairman will discuss the attempt to add the Illinois Black Panther Party headquarters to the National Registry of Historic Places. But before the chairman, marketing expert Overton Wilkins will explain how AI, artificial intelligence, is changing the marketing industry. Before Overton, though, author Ella Parler will debut her book, title high tolerance a book about alcohol uh, but to get us started therapist vicky hater is here good morning vicky good morning how are you carl excellent how are you this morning i'm doing well thank you good do people ask you that knowing that you're a therapist they ask you how you're doing because they expect you to be okay if you're a therapist <laughs> that's a really good question in fact many of my clients ask me how i'm doing and i well appreciate it uh, I think well, are they being now as a therapist? Are they just being polite, or, or do you think they really, really care? Because you know, I get people tell, "How you doing? How do you?" I know they, they're just being polite. They, they, they don't care if you got a headache or you got other issues. <laughs> so, but you're a therapist, so you could. Uh, that's why I'm asking you because you could figure it out. <laughs> yeah, well, this, this, that's the expectation. Huh? I always <laughs> say there are days when I don't, I don't have all the answers. But I think it's helpful that my humanity helps them cope in in a lot of ways as well but i many of my clients we, we have great relationships uh all of uh the one all of them seem to really be genuinely concerned about how i am doing as well all right well help us out because the first time here vicky so tell us how did you become a therapist why did you choose this route um i decided to become a therapist i am my First ba- educational background is in nursing. I come from a family of many nurses. Um, and once I decided working in nurse, interesting, I, I went to school for nursing and then I started working at a consulting firm in their healthcare solutions practice. So, not really practicing nursing, but it was always on my heart. And I think it's because mental health. And so, when I was in nursing school, it was the psychiatry rotations as well as the maternal child health that always stayed with me, that I, was all, I always gravitated towards. Uh, and once I worked as a consultant, I just I was, I was unsettled. It never worked for me, so I decided to go practice nursing. And I did work in de- various capacities as a nurse, so everything from uh, chronic disease management, labor and delivery, maternal child health. Uh, and in particular, what really got me there was working in the Black Infant Health Program, which is a social support, a medical case management social support program that was started in California. They tend to start having them all over the countries once the 
research really began to show just the inequities in maternal and infant mortality rate in African-Americans. So as a public health nurse visiting um, black women in their homes during their pregnancy was up close and personal uh, experience of not just the health issues, but the mental health issues. Uh, and this would, this is more of a relational type of medical case management program. So if you're seeing these women from the moment they come into the program when they're pregnant up until the baby's two years old, and you can also see them for subsequent pregnancies. So you would d develop a, a real uh, long-term relationship with these families. And they also had a men's component, so uh, fa the fatherhood component. So you would meet all the, as many, all the family members that were involved uh, in that person's life. So I realized just how much they would utilize me as a therapist and a nurse. And when I was on, when I went on maternity leave, I remember getting calls of like suicidal ideation, and they would leave voicemails on my phone. I was like, "Oh my goodness, this is not good." Uh, and I would refer them out, especially when I've assessed and and I've determined you 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 really need to seek someone for professional help. Um, they wouldn't they wouldn't adhere they wouldn't seek the help, and I sat with that for a while trying to understand. And I think because there's so many, there very few, if you will. Uh... Still there, Vicky? I'm not hearing Vicky. Hopefully we haven't lost Vicky. Kevin, are you there? All right. Let me do this. So let me just remind you coming up at, uh, it's uh, five at the top there. I think we may have lo lost Vicky. So we'll hopefully we'll get her back. But uh, coming up this morning, we're going to speak with Chairman Fred Hampton. Uh, he's going to talk about the attempt to add the Illinois Black Panther Party headquarters to the National Registry of Historic Places and what that really means uh, for the legacy of the Black Panthers. Also, before the chairman, though, marketing expert Overton Wilkins is going to explain how AI, artificial intelligence, is changing the marketing industry. You know, we talk a lot about marketing and talking a lot about uh, AI as well, artificial intelligence with Brother Siddiqui. And some, Brother Siddiqui says it's all, you know, we have to get into our own, but not, do not fear it. We'll see what Overton says because some of these changes are being done and we don't even know. Vicki, you're back with us? Yes, I am. All righty. I'll let you finish your thought. Go ahead. Yes, I, I was just saying just so many of those would not seek to use the references that were given. And a lot of it had to do with not having providers that look like them, not having mental health providers that look like them. And I brought this up to my manager and different ones. And we worked hard to make sure that they felt comfortable and tried to connect them to find black mental health professionals. But as you know, that is very limited still. Uh, and at that point, I, I was in deciding on a career transition anyway, and it was the, it was the right transition for me. So I just I went back to school, became a licensed clinical marriage and family therapist. Currently working on uh, my PhD in nursing uh, with my research on trauma informed care. Uh, good for you. Good for you. Is there still a stigma though for, for in in our community for as far as mental health is concerned, or people people actually seek you out, or they do it on the down low? Uh, I would say there's definitely still a stigma, especially on African American men. I I I'm happy to say that I do see more black men coming to therapy. Um, more black people are coming to therapy. There are definitely the barriers that get in the way. So stigma is one of those. Uh, 
my my best uh, friend's husband teases me all the time that he doesn't believe in my profession. Uh, we may make jokes about it, uh, but I could definitely see that more people are open to it. But it's it, there's a stigma there that I think yeah, a lot of it we it, we've been desensitized to mental health and normalized it and, and in some ways glorified it. Uh, a lot of my clients, which African-American people tell me, like, it's, just, it's still seen as a sign of weakness, right? Yeah. Because of all the things we've overcome, you know, I'll be all right. I don't need that. Uh, and, and that's still problematic. But I, I'm, I am glad to see more and more people come. And that's probably more so uh, socioeconomic status has something to do with that. You have to have access to it in order to... Uh, get the help you need. I've, I've seen more and more organizations since COVID pop up that are trying to offer free and low cost services to any black professional who will take vouchers and things of that nature, but it's still very limited. We have very unequal access to mental health care. All right, nine after the top of the air. One of the things we talked about earlier before we got on the air was about trauma. Uh, you, you say that many of us in our, in our community have not dealt with the trauma. Can you explain what you mean by that? Right. So if we think about trauma, a lot of times we chalk it up to some people think of it as the um, anything from some type of traumatic event around sexual abuse or physical assault. Uh, but trauma is something that has, and, and in particular, healthcare things have this physical trauma. So, yes, physical trauma can cause psychological trauma as well. And a lot of what is happening is we're not addressing the psychological trauma, in, in particular for minority populations. Uh, and, and if I look at Black people and minorities in general, we already have historical trauma and generational trauma that occurs in our families. We have even societal traumas, things that have like racial trauma. These are type of traumatic experiences that groups of people, in particular for us, African-American people, um, that cause us to continue to have these huge gaps, these huge disparity gaps in health and education, mental health. And, and for us, some of the most, our most vulnerable populations, the homeless, incarcerated children, those below the poverty line, uh, are experiencing massive amounts of trauma that we kind of just look as, well, that's just what happens and we get through it. But I don't know, do we really get through it? And how we do that? You know, you mentioned too. There's a, a sm- trauma with a small T and a trauma with a, a, a capital T. Can Can you explain that? Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So every again, so big T trauma. People. This, these are usually the yeah unspoken, but we know what they are. So those things that happen the different types of assaults and car accidents or a lot of people think of it as, um, have for veterans who've been in the military. These are kind of the big T traumas, but now the word trauma is used so often. Um, I hear a lot of people in particular, the young generation use it when they are really talking about emotional distress from having life cumulative life stress or heightened anxiety or experiences that they're not able to kind of cope with what has happened from an emotional standpoint. Uh, but it's big key trauma that we have to be, we have to be concerned about the, both types of trauma. 
what I found, though, overexposure to big T trauma is what makes the complexity of traumatic experiences, chronic trauma, because, you know, those big T traumas are those complex traumatic experiences where you don't get the help, they go unaddressed. And then we have, we see all the mental health challenges for our vulnerable population. All right, 12 after the top of that. We'll come up on a break, but is it fair to say that many of us in the black community are suffering from big T trauma or is that stretching it? I would say it is fair to say that many of us in the black in our in, in our community are suffering from big T trauma because these are the kind of traumas we normalize, unfortunately. So it is the sexual assaults, it is the things that have happened within families. Um, there's generational trauma that happens within families that minorities are not talking about. And those are those hushed things. And we assume that the, or we just take it for granted. Those are things that happen and then they don't, they go unaddressed. And I don't know if it's because we don't think there's help or there's healing, or we've decided that, um, if you get past it, I, I, I was talking, I have clients who's, range from 12 or 13 all the way in the 80s but it's interesting when the 70s come to therapy it's usually about a big t trauma so watching a parent die get killed in front of you uh it is when i was eight these things this happened to me and they continued you know, a whole lot of thought right there, Vicky. We got to take mm-hmm. a quick break here. We got to check the traffic and weather in our different cities. Uh, if you come, when you come back, though, can you talk about the trauma that our young people go go through? Our young people, especially our young youngsters in, in Baltimore, in D.C., in Chicago, they face they 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 you know they're dealing with death on a, on a regular basis. Something oh, that yeah. as young people that you know you, usually you if, it, it, that comes in when you're an adult, but they have to process that. So if, maybe if you can come when mm-hmm. we come back, you can. Uh, uh, t- Tell us how we can deal with that if we have children and grandchildren that are going through this. Folks, you want to join this conversation with our guest? Her name is Vicki Hader. Reach uh, to us at 800-450-7876 at 14 after the top of the hour. We'll take your calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. If we're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL, where information is power. And good morning again, family. Our guest is Vicki Hader. She's a therapist, and we we're talking about therapy here. We're talking about trauma. You know, Vicki, I thought about this because we've got Chairman Fred coming on later this morning, and we were doing an interview with the chairman one day, and he was out in the streets of Chicago. That's what he calls his office. And there was a shooting. And he was, like, giving the play-by-play, and he mentioned there was a little girl standing by the victim, and she was splattered with blood. And I just kept thinking... What is this child going to grow up? What, what's going through her mind? How is she going to process this? And he and, and the chairman said, you know, shootings back then, it, well, it's still going on a lot in Chicago. People just, you know, just discriminate, indiscriminately just shooting each other. But for children to, to, to either become victims or, or witness this, if you had a chance to even speak to that child or her, her parents or grandparents, because we don't know the, the child's background, but uh, Chairman Fred was pretty shaken about it, and he's seen a lot in his lifetime. What would you tell him? I would first 
validate that child's experience, and it's depend on what age, right, how much they could comprehend, how much they can um, communicate with you about what they're feeling. But I would certainly make sure that that family got the support they need. They would definitely need to access mental health services. Um, uh, as young as two, three children can be involved in therapy, especially something like play therapy, where even if they can't give you words, explain what they're feeling, because having to worked with children and having done play therapy, there's a lot of information you can get from how they uh, process what they experience. So they may act it out with the types of toys that they, they and, and the, the kind of play that they do with those toys. Uh, you can get so much information from children, really help them along the way to process the trauma. So like I was saying about this, you know, individuals who experience early life traumas, they don't forget and it does have a major impact on them. And they're trying to make sense of the world for so long and really struggle and wonder why they just never seem to be okay or their worldview becomes um, distorted in a way that, that doesn't make sense to them. And it usually involves them not being able to maintain a close relationship. Um, and so I would really say to that parent, to whomever witnessed that, is that we need to get this child into therapy. Initially, they may not say anything. And it may yeah. seem as if they would go uh, to school and do whatever, but usually it will come out or they become very withdrawn. So I'd be watching for the signs that some the chances are this kid's not okay, <laughs> no matter what we think or they didn't say anything, uh, but Sometimes they wake up with nightmares. They can't get rid of the visual. Sometimes certain smells will stay with them. So that, that's like a post-traumatic stress disorder. The flashbacks come. The triggers will come. Hyperarousal, hypervigilance, afraid to go to certain places or similar environments. Hearing a gunshot now makes have that child panic. I will say one of the most helpful things that I'm finding as a nurse doing this research is that school health is really taking the helm on trauma-informed care. So realizing they're the ones they see it because they have these kids six, seven hours a day, sometimes even longer if they're in aftercare type programs. But the teachers, the administrators, uh, a lot of times school health nurses, they are the ones who are given that information or the kids come to the, the, the school clinic for, say, a headache or a stomach ache, which really they do after they do a little dig and really listening, they find out it's usually some trauma that child has experienced. Wow. Let's just take a little older uh, children now, 24 minutes after the top there. I'm not sure if you saw the scuffle between rapper T.I. and his son or Michael Irvin and his son, both of their sons, uh, you know, they, they grew up in well-to-do communities. Michael Irvin was wondering why his son wants to become a rapper, and he grew up in a, a gated community. T.I., the same thing. His son wants to become a thug. It, it, whose fault is that? Because people, you know, when you look at that, the children, is, are they going through a, a rebellious stage, or is it something that the adults, the parents, didn't do? I have a, look, I have a 70-year-old. And I a lot of this may be more so related to we've glorified in our rap music. If you're not exposed to that, if that's not what you grew up with, but you hear it, there's something in us that wants to understand that side to say that, hey, I get it. Life can be tough, right? And I think we try to identify with that, even if you're not, you haven't grown up in that environment. It's just, uh, maybe it's a way to express uh 
that other side where we, we rebel against the norm and the privilege and the because we want to prove that we're not that either, that we're down, that we can handle the toughness of life just like what's portrayed in the rap music. And I think the music actually is very influential for our young people. So how do we do with that? Because the music is perceived, you know, this is what they listen to. They, and some of the songs, of course, cannot even be played on the radio. Uh, but yeah. they download them and they've got their own radio stage, stations yeah. on their phones. And they listen to in a lot of profanity, a, a lot of negativity, especially when it comes about talking about women. Besides, And in addition to that, we, we, we had a discussion. I don't know if you heard it yesterday with the, uh, Brother Eski out of L.A. And he talks with some of these young brothers and, and they they just don't like black women. It doesn't matter if they're mom or their sisters. There's something going on here. Some, some, some people say somebody's trying to poison the water against us to, to break up the black family. How do you see it? And if you had a chance to speak to some of those young brothers and, you know, those young people, the brothers especially, and, he, and he's told me, later he told me, so some of the young sisters are saying the same thing. You know, they're getting encouraged online to abort a baby if, if it's a black boy because they want to be brought up in, into this community that we're in right now. It's, it's, it was it was discouraging, it's discouraging, disheartening to hear that, that black men think like that, young black men think like that. So if as a therapist, if you had a chance to speak to those young brothers, what would you tell them? McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Okay, it seems like we've lost Vicky again because uh, that was interesting what Brother Askia was telling us about yesterday. So I'm asking her now, that's a question I asked her, what would she say to these young brothers? Uh, I know after uh, 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 Dr. Who was our, uh, uh, Dr. Who was our, Dr. Uh, oh, he was here, uh, says he was going to talk to these, these young brothers. Dr. Fox he wanted to talk to those young brothers because, and he's a clinical psychologist, so he wanted to talk to these young brothers to find out, you know, where, which, where all this hate is really coming from. Is it manufactured or is it organic? So somebody there, a hidden hand there, is pushing our young people to think like that. But anyway, uh, Vicki, back with us. Good morning. Yes, good morning. I don't know how much of it you heard, but uh, these young men are in this chat room and, and they're having these conversations and they've just started, the brother Ski has gotten them listening to us in the mornings now. But they, they, they're, they're hating on, on sisters. They're hating on, on you know, they're, they're, even their they're, they're, the sisters that they're related to, even their mothers. They blame their mothers. They blame black women for everything. And I'm not quite sure, how do, you, how do we deal with it? You know, maybe you as a therapist, maybe, you know, hopefully brother Ski is listening. Maybe you can give him some tips what to tell some of these young men. 
Yeah, I, you know, Annette, I'm hearing this more and more, and I, it it seems to be that's a part of social social media makes that more prevalent. Uh, they till the young people have the this, these devices where they can connect to any of these talk shows, YouTube, TikTok videos, the whole nine, and there is a feel like a hate war going on amongst black men and women right now, in particular of the younger generation up until, say, the mid-30s, where we are just not seeing eye to eye. And a lot of it has to do with these programming that they're listening to uh, through the social media outlets. Uh, I'm so thankful having three sons, two of which are teenagers. Um, we get, I get to have these kind of conversations with them about what they're hearing, what they're seeing. And they, they've even talked about um, because if there's a video out there about if a black young black woman is out there saying something about she's only looking for a man who has this or that or the other, then that just spreads virally. So this is what's influencing their ability, inability to see each other in love. And you have to know what your young people are listening to, what the conversation, the, the types of conversations that are happening. And we have to be able to talk to them about them. You have to be able to appeal to their hearts, to their senses. Uh, I, I often ask them, show me the research. Who said that? Where did you get it? Uh, being a therapist, I challenge them quite a bit on the things that they're hearing because it has an emotional, psychological impact. And so I often ask, what's the source? Because I'm a researcher, you have to show me the data. You can't just tell me that black women do this, black women do that. Where is the data? How many do you know? How many have you talked to? Where are you getting this information? What conversations have you joined with them about? How have you tried to get to know them and try to understand their story? If you have a perception, which is often a misperception and conception of who black women are, and <laughs> to know yourself first, who are you in all this? And, and yeah. so I would encourage them to have those dialogues with them, set them up in teen groups or programs where they can have a dialogue with black women, where they can socialize and try to get to know each other instead of from their social media experience of videos going around about hate for one another. Yeah, at 29 away from the top there, because the Pan-Africanist group will tell them, know thyself. If they knew who they really are, they wouldn't be dissing, let alone hating on, on another any black person, period. You know, if they knew who they were. So that, that's their solution. But the reality is m many of these young men, they, they're not listening to the Afrocentric or Pan-African brothers and sisters in, in our community. So they, 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 that escapes them because they, 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 they consider that bogus information, by the way. So right. is, 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 this, is this a trend? Do you see it as a trend? So, it's, you know, it'll, it'll blow over after a, a generation or so? Or do you think it's got, it's got some legs? I, there, this is a trend. Let me. So, if I think about early years, so I was the person who once Jerry Springer came on. I said I will not watch that kind of TV because I saw what it did to relationships, to families, to couples, to individuals who probably could have had a chance. But when we began to use reality reality TV to display our disagreements and our hurtful experiences, it turned into a show, and now it's entertainment, and now it's stuff that's just out there that really pervades our mind and has an influence on how we see one another. And I think it's that kind of quote-unquote reality TV, putting it all out there, just letting you know kind of thing that is really affecting our ability. It, 
it'd be one thing if the young people are old enough to understand that they're microwave. They don't really have the, a lot of times, they're not at a point of having that kind of emotional maturity to understand this is not for real. This is not how we do it. If you come from the prior generation, you have a better understanding. And unfortunately, sometimes we're even being influenced by this way of thinking. If you can, if you're influencing a person's thinking, this is not going to just be a trend unless we change it by the way we think, what we expose our minds to. Well, let me add this. I'll ask you this question, but we got to take a quick break and I'll let you respond on the other side. Because, you know, people talk about this all the time. And and I I want to find out from you if you think it's it's by design or, or is it just organic? Is just something happening or somebody's trying to, to uh, you know, keep the black family apart? I want to get your thoughts on that. But we got to take a quick look at the news traffic and weather in our different cities at uh, uh, 24 minutes away, 26 actually away from the top. I'll be back in four minutes, though, right here in Baltimore. Folks, you want to join this conversation, reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Your call's next also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. W-O-L, where information is power. Family 19 minutes away from the top there with our guest. She's a therapist. Her name is uh, Vicki Hader. Got questions, especially about young uh, uh, folks today. This is what we're talking about. She's talking about trauma. She says there's one with the big T and one with the little T. This is what she's explaining to us this morning. Before we go back to her, though, let me remind you, later this morning, we're going to speak with Chicago actors, Chairman Fred Hampton, and also that we're all going to speak with uh, 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 Overton Wilkins. He's a marketing expert. He's going to explain how AI, artificial intelligence, is changing Changing the marketing industry. Before Overton, coming up next, we're going to speak with author Ella Paula. She's going to debut her book. It's called High Tolerance about uh, alcohol. It's, it's an interesting book, by the way. And also, tomorrow's Friday, so we give you a chance to free your mind, think for yourself, and join us for another Open Phone Friday program. We begin promptly at 6 a.m. Eastern Time, right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB, and also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. So, it, before we left, we were talking about. About, uh, you know, whether this was organic or this is just or somebody's behind trying to break up the black family, you you know, conspiracy theorists that will say that's what's (laughs) going on. How do you see it, though? I see it as it's it continues from way back when, right, when there is drug blood in the community. Now we have other tactics to. Like we say, to hate black love, Um, unfortunately, I think because. In our in our capitalist society, sex sales, violent sales, um, it is what is put out there. Now we have you know we have the internet to put out anything and everything. I there, I was listening to one young one woman's book, uh, Safia Emoja, about algorithms of oppression, but talking about how um, even the algorithms that are set up on the internet are the way they if you search a black woman, the types of images that come up typically are negative. Uh, and so as a, a person doing that kind of research, she is just explaining how it's important for us to understand the algorithms uh, and what's coming with AI and things of that nature. But I I really do think that because of what sales, quote unquote, what is monetized, if you think, the, if you think about the types of um, social media t- videos and things that spread virally, it usually is not very positive. And so maybe yeah. it is by design at that we see our our communities being portrayed in such a negative view, which becomes the way, uh, and, and, you know, we're, again, if it's glorified, 
you find that. But you know, let me inter- interrupt and, and ask you this though, because people say that, and they and and they people and they're not all our children, you know, because you know we've got we've got great uh, children growing up that they don't have any of these issues, uh, and and they say that it's it's just like the drug problem, you know. Drug, you, you grew up, you saw people doing drugs, you didn't have to do it, you, so you didn't do it. So it, does, when you say that, does that mean that you, you have, you're stronger emotionally than the other person who, who uh, was uh, subjected to, to taking drugs or, or doing something uh, you know, they shouldn't be doing inappropriately? Well, I think there may be protective factors. So you can be exposed, say, on the Internet or different ways but if you have protective factors you use to come to your senses and realize that's really not what you were taught so children whose parents are there who is encouraging them uh, who go to church who have someone they feel connected to a mentor or something of that nature tend to may have some kind of exposure to it but don't find themselves continuing along that path so, so how do you have set up that protective uh, t- uh, technique, though? How for people who are listening, uh, parents and or grandparents, or even students on the way to school this morning listening to us? What, what, how do so they don't get caught up in that web? What should mm-hmm. they be doing? They should find a trusted person. So, so many of my clients and and they tell me like, "You're my person. You're the one I get to tell all of this stuff to." Uh, and I think, okay, gosh, that's that's a lot. But for them, it means I don't have to hold it in. I don't have to carry this burden alone. I don't have to deal with the mental anguish of some of the stuff that I deal with, whether it's discrimination in any place, work, school, whatever, or uh, a medical trauma or whatever the, the heaviness of life is, they have a place to take it. And that in itself makes them uh, stay connected. It, make, it gives them the strength to and guidance to figure out how to get through it, maybe uh, direct them to resources. But I will say you know, these protective factors are super critical. So, again, whether you are a student at school, seek out the school counselor. If there's a school nurse, school nurses tend to be very good at understanding more of the complexities of what's going on with your physical and mental Um in your community, is there some type of organization outreach program that a student can get involved with? For uh, even I would tell a lot of people, if you have a job, check their employee assistance program. Try to get some help instead of just saying that's just the way it is, or there is no hope. It doesn't matter. I hear that so much among people today. I don't care, and it doesn't matter. And I think you're. You think you're saying that lightly, but the more you say it, the more you begin to believe it, the more you begin to act it out. Wow. Is that why we're seeing the suicide rates increase among our young people? Yes. There's definitely sense of hopelessness there. And I think it's, they're overexposed. They're and when you overexposed. say overexposed, overexposed to what or to whom? Negativity. Mm. And, and is that coming all from the Internet or is it coming from, from their peers? all the way around oh wow so so how do they deal with that you know how how do they handle that because first you've got to figure out that this is what's happening to you before you can uh, solve the the situation you can fix it but sometimes you don't know you're so caught up into it you just don't know and you slowly sinking away so what advice if you if if you have a child right now and and you think he's going through that what, what should you first be doing observing checking on them. Uh, so again, having four kids and 
three teenagers, I find myself, first I'm asking, how are you doing? How was school? They don't give me, oh, fine, it's good. And then I get more specific. Okay, how was math? Or who did you eat lunch with today? What did, you know, um, did you get angry about anything today? So I, I have to get a little bit more specific to get a little bit more information. They might still give me uh, nothing or but by the end of the night, after they kind of unwind, I, I do rounds. I go to their rooms. I say, hey, what's going on with you? And usually that's when it all comes out. They give me so much information, more emotional stuff of what happened. Uh, and if your kids seem to be displacing anger or going withdrawn, this is not the time to leave the door closed and let them be in there for hours and not know what they're doing, what they're watching, um, how they're connecting or not connecting. I have so many young people uh, particularly by the time I get to ninth, tenth grade, hate school, I don't care, I sit and eat lunch by themselves. And I'm thinking, how is that possible? You have two parents. You you seem like you would have friends. I don't understand it. And they're exposed to too much. They've become so withdrawn. And COVID seems to have done a one on everybody. And in particular, the young people, they were they became a lot more withdrawn. Not everybody, but some of them became so withdrawn. Uh, and don't feel connected uh, at school, even though among they're among a lot of people. Right, twelve away from the top. There, well, you know, many times what you're talking about is parents. Uh, parents don't understand these telltale signs. They don't recognize these signs. They they figure, oh, he just wants to, oh, she just wants to be alone, or or they're going through mm-hmm. a, a stage, a you know, rebellious teenage stage, and they'll they'll grow out of it in, in a couple of years or a year, mm-hmm. and and they'll change. But sometimes they don't. At what point then do they call you? A lot of parents will call me when their kid gets a screening at their pediatrician office. So thank goodness the pediatrician's offices are doing more screenings for anxiety and depression. Most of them across the board are doing depression, some of them anxiety. I encourage all parents, even as early as nine, eight, nine now, uh, should be getting screenings for anxiety and depression. There should be ACEs. So ACEs is the uh, average childhood experiences is a study that was out two years ago now, but it asks if a child has experienced uh, neglect. It asks about the type of uh, divorce or being hit. or uh, And for some families, that's scary though for that question to be asked, but it also is an entryway for that kid to have a place to talk about difficulties. It's not specific to find out if you're beating your kid at home and all that, but it is to make sure that this kid is safe, that they're okay. Um, but screenings are helpful, even in schools. Again, school nurses, counselors, these are places where kids can go and they can get the help. And um, in talking with many of my school nurse colleagues, they really stand in the gap for youth's mental health uh, and school counselors too, but we need more training for providers to practice trauma-informed care so that I that means we're more alert and parents can be involved in this. I've talked to pastors, different ones, to be in, involved in what it means to provide trauma-informed care in your setting. Um, but the screenings are important. Okay? Even if you're doing an annual physical, um, encourage your kid to talk to the school counselor. Uh, some parents don't want people in their business. I get it, but you need to find a trusted space. I always tell my kids, even if you don't talk to me, you have to have a trusted space. There's an auntie, there's your godmother, there are different people. There has to be somebody that you can talk to about the difficulties. 
All right, hold that thought right there. Nine away from the top of the hour. Let's go to line two. Casey's joining us from Maryland. Casey, good morning. You're on with uh, Vicky Hader. Uh, yeah, happy sunrise. Brother Quasi, been a while. Yes, sir. Uh, what, I wanted, what I wanted to say is there's something called PG, the movie rating, parental guidance. Mm. That's what's missing. Now, I would ask the therapist, because you seem to be very in touch and relevant to what they're doing. Do you know who Woo-Wop is? I don't, I don't think I know who Woo-Wop is. He's seven years old, and he has a song called, I Want to Kill My Mom, I Want to Kill My Grandma, I Want to Kill My Dad. And that video has over a million hits on YouTube. See, they had us looking up for white Jesus. Now everybody is looking down with their face in the cell phone. Mm-hmm. How old do you think a child should be given a phone? Because we didn't have them when we were children. The phone is the devil in the room. And that's the problem. Now, our sisters... Uh, Casey, hold on a second, man. Hold, hold on. I, I'm just digesting what you said. That song is about. Oh, yeah. I mean, that song is, they, they're on it. That song and and he said that, that a child, a seven years old, is saying that, singing that? and can all these... pull it up right now. It's, wow. it's called Woo Wop. He's seven years old, and it has gone viral over and over again. And that subliminal message Mm. It's teaching mm-hmm. murder and hatred for yeah. your own mom, your own dad, who is not really there because 77% of our households in mm-hmm. the black community are headed by females. Mm-hmm. So we need our sisters to come out of the conscientious denial, taking care. I heard Sister Sherazad Ali say, taking care of a child is feeding them, clothing them, making sure they have shelter but it has nothing to do with raising a child. There's two different, and, it, and to mm-hmm. raise a child, it's co-parented needed, both parents. But the reality yeah. is the father is not there. So who is responsible for giving the child love? The mother, because she's there. But you can't yeah. get into denial when we call these things out and get into a defense mode with your fist balled up like we're blaming you for your failure in doing this with the child because it, the dad should be there. He has no excuse for not being there. Right. So, and Casey, we're going we're gonna to have to cut it right here because we're coming up on a break. And, and I want uh, Vicky to respond because you put a lot on her plate, but we've got to take the short. Thank you for calling and thank you for keep listening to us. Uh, we've got to take the short break and take another look at the traffic and weather in our different cities and the news for our listeners in Baltimore. Folks, you want to join this conversation with the therapist, Vicky Hader, reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also on the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. W-O-L, where information is power. All right. That's a, a therapist of Vicki Hader in the DMV, folks. And uh, she, she's got a hands full dealing with some of the issues. So she says, we have not resolved some of the trauma that's uh, been inflicted on us as a people. 800-450-7876. Keep that number handy. You're going to need for our next guest. She's an author. Ella Parler. Good morning. Welcome back to the program. 
Good morning. How are you today? We're doing fine. How about yourself? I am doing really well. I feel so blessed and, and really grateful to be here. Yeah, well, we want to talk about your book, High Tolerance. Uh, first of all, give us a little bit of, of your background and, and why did you decide to write this book? Um, well, I decided to write High Tolerance. After... Oh, hold on a second. Uh, you want to speak a phone? Because we're not hearing you in full effect. If you can get closer to the phone. Oh, yeah, absolutely. My headphones might be a little. Is this better? A little better, but go ahead. Uh, Cameron will talk to you about fixing it later, but go ahead. Okay. Um, so I, for the last 15 years, I have had a very wonderful, tremendous, interesting uh, career uh, as a marketing director in the alcohol industry. I often say if you were to think of 10 popular brands, there's a strong chance I've worked with a few of them. And I, as, um, as I started to reflect on what my purpose is and how I want to show up in the world and how I want to serve others, um, I started feeling pulled to be a part of other people's healing journey and really doing an inventory of, of where I'm at in the world and, and how I can serve others. And I, after some health issues in December of last year, I, I had a few surgeries and some setbacks, and I find myself sitting in a hospital room thinking about what am I doing with my life. Um, I decided to start writing High Tolerance really to, as a, as a beautiful breakup letter to my um, relationship with the alcohol industry and, and deciding to step away from that. Um, because as we know, as consumers, alcohol has a powerful grip, but being on the inside and, and working within the industry for uh, the better half of 20 years, uh, there are also a lot of um, insights that you get as well into the industry. Right. And hopefully you'll share some of those insights with us as you did in your book, because one of the, the, the chapters that I'm in part two of your book that I'm interested in, if you can share that with us, the culture, the complexities of multicultural marketing. Explain that one for us, this chapter. Yes, I, I think, you know, so the alcohol industry is has a very, very, we'll say rich. Uh, history in America. It is the only industry in the United States that has not one, but two um, uh, amendments in the Constitution. And so what that means is that there are a lot of, we will say, there are a lot of established ways of working within the alcohol industry that precede any of us that are on the planet today. And where that becomes relevant in the alcohol industry is that there are a lot of gatekeepers and a lot of red tape that keep people of color from being empowered in that space, both on the inside. And of course, we know, um, while I'm not a sober coach or uh, an alcohol psychologist expert by any means, um, we also know the impact that alcohol has on black and brown communities. And so as, <clears throat> as a black latina woman in this space what i found where i was able to find success where my value was seen was as this quote multicultural space um meaning that okay 
we actively, as alcohol brands, are targeting particular communities, and we need someone in the room who we can turn to and, and make sure that we don't get canceled and make sure that we are staying relevant and on top of the brands. And some of my observations have been that while I do believe that there, we'll say there are positive intentions um, with interacting with black and brown communities, uh, there is a clear disparity in some of the, um, we'll say, investments made to target black consumers and get individuals to drink. Um, and then pretending to be or feigning to be a part of the culture. And we see how alcohol um, permeates a, a lot of culture in regard to the music we listen to, the videos we're watching, the movies we're in, in consuming. If you look at any red carpet event, there's going to be um, a major alcohol sponsor involved. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Yeah, but uh, certain kinds of alcohol are marketed to certain certain communities. Can you talk about that? Yes, absolutely. Um, I, I don't think, I don't want to get into naming brands. I, I'm sure some might come to mind, top of mind, um, if you've scrolled on Instagram or clicked around. Um, you know, there are some particular brands that are very obviously targeted to uh, specifically Black consumers in the Black community. But what I found interesting is going back to the structure of how alcohol is legally structured in this country is that there are several brands, several companies that feign having black ownership. And while there may be a prominent black figure, hip hop artist, um, athlete that has a stake in the company, when we actually look at who is profiting off of these brands, when we look at the distribution partners, when we look at the retailers, we actually don't see that same empowerment that is claimed by putting a prominent figure's face um, behind the brand. And this is where we see some black owners step away and pull away and say and and, ch and try to challenge this very antiquated space. Um, and I and I think what the hard part for me as a black woman um, in this space and being asked to find 
culturally relevant, we call it programming, right? So advertising programming, marketing programming to target more black consumers. How do we get black consumers to drink more often, drink our brands more frequently? Who can we hire? What influencer can we hire to target the community? What plagued me at times is I was often the only black or brown or female voice in rooms, which means that there isn't a lot of advocacy or even for me, room for error. Um, and then there becomes this really difficult challenge of, as a, as a marketer, especially a big brand, the difficult challenge of pre, pre, uh, positioning our, uh, ourselves as a brand to make sure that we're not participating in cultural appropriation. Making you sure know, well, hold that thought right there because we got to take a short break. We got to check the traffic and weather. When we come back, though, do they do this to other communities? Do they look for influencers, you know, NBA players, rappers or singers or whatever, actors and actresses and say, you know, we're going to get them to endorse a product or give them and say that they own this label or, you know, this is, I say a label because it's kind of like the record industry. There's a parallel here, folks, and you will see it when we get back. But it, interesting, some of the folks that you know, we're going to, and I'm going to mention their names and we're not going to mention the products, but I'll mention the names and, and you can tell us, to, you know, because they tell us that that's their, their brand, they own the, they this drink as if they were there they made the drink themselves and they're selling it themselves and, and marketing to us but the big boys are doing it that's what we know so you know I, I don't want you to give up any you know trade secrets but just if confirm what, what we already think is going on in the of marketing these alcohol to our young people 800-450-7876 you want to join this conversation with ella parlor reach out to us we'll take your calls in four minutes right here in baltimore on 1010 wolb also on the dmv we're on fm 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL where information is power and good morning again family minute after the top there with our guest she's a therapist her name is Vicki Hader before we left we're speaking with KC in Maryland so uh, Vicki I'm going to get a chance to respond to some of the things that he mentioned Casey, I really uh, appreciate and I identify with so many of the factors you talked about that are influencing uh, the way black children are being raised. Um, you talked about single parenthood and not having the fathers involved. Uh, I, what really stuck out for me is just kind of the sense of like, uh, how we're desensitizing our young people by glorifying such music, right? And I I, it's all about, again, being monetized, uh, and yet it is killing a group of people. It is, it is killing the black community because although they, quote unquote, are just singing lyrics because they're listening to these things, what you put in your mind, right? I always remember this little Chris, uh, childhood song, be careful little eyes what you see and uh, careful little ears what you hear because once you begin to program your mind to these things you're desensitizing yourself and you're really these are thoughts and seeds that are planted that at some point when they're acted out everyone's shocked well if you're singing that i tell my students all the time listen i know you're saying you're just saying that i grew up on gangster rap we were kind of the first group of hip-hop people out there listening to gangster rap and 
I know that the protective factors is what prevented me from going down the wrong path. And so we have to be careful about what we allow our children to listen to. Seven year over the phone. I don't think so. Uh, and this comes up in a lot of my uh, sessions with parents bringing their kids at what point, and amongst my peer groups, at what point do we give kids a phone? In my household, it was you had to be at least 12 before you could get a phone. And even then, I don't give access to the, the social media app. Not until they're about 14 can they access the apps. And for my daughter, I'm even probably a little bit more. Uh, Larry, uh, but it's about teaching them. It's about being aware of what they are doing. Uh, and I want to and, and encourage you and, and all, all those listening, get involved with your kids. We still need to be the parent. Uh, a lot of times we feel like we don't have the right parents come to me very frustrated about what they are being told they can't talk to their kids about or understand what's going on with them medically. You're a parent first from the beginning. And that, that's what I found to be an issue working in the Black Info program. This is where it starts, right? right? And we go through so many things. And if we're, our mental health is not good, we're depressed, we are anxious, we, we have PTSD, our own trauma. I've seen so much generational trauma happen among Black people. Uh, and it comes out in therapy. And, the, and I always tell, I don't care how old you are, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're talking through it, you're working through it, you're trying to make sense of it. Start somewhere. Find a trusted place. Somebody, even you know, your primary care provider, a lot of us don't have access to care, but the free clinics get started somewhere so that we're not allowing our stressors to now pervade our thinking, and now we can't be the kind of parents we need to be to our kids. All right, thank you, Vicky. Vicky, before we let you go, how can folks? Uh, you're in the DMV area or you're in Baltimore? How can folks reach you if they need, if they're looking yes, for a therapist? Yes, I am in the DMV. You can find me at Vicky Hater on my Instagram. You can also find me. Uh, actually, if you Google Vicky Hater, you'll find my uh, practice uh, through Emerge LC. Uh, my website. You can find me on Facebook. And spell your name for us, because it, it, it doesn't have the conventional exactly spelling. That's right. I'm glad you said that. As Vicky Hater, that's V-I-C-K-Y-E-H-A-Y-T-E-R. It's the Y that throw everybody out, but it's V-I-C-K-Y-E and H-A-Y-T-E-R. All righty. Thank you, Vicky. And good morning again, family. Our guest is Ella Parler. She's written a book about alcoholism or alcohol, if you will. It's called High Tolerance. That's the name of the book. And what caught me was the, the, the chapter four. The book, her chapter, she writes a chapter for the culture, the complexities of multicultural marketing. So before we left for the traffic and weather update, my question to you was, because you, you were sort of like the spook who sat at the door when they're coming up with these, designing these campaigns to attract the people to drink their alcohol. And, and we'll get into some of the black ones in a moment. But do they do this for all ethnic groups? Do they, they sit down and try to find who, who can they use in the Asian community or Hispanic community uh, uh, to, uh, or, you know, to, 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 as an influencer to get people, get their people to buy their drinks like they do us? Absolutely. I would say the, the segment that is targeted the most uh, at hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars of marketing go towards targeting the Hispanic consumers. We uh, enact various agencies to create uh, Spanish campaigns. And you have to understand it goes beyond influencership. We have to think about the retail arena 
that are in the neighborhoods of this community, of, the, of any community, because these are where the uh, where people and communities are going to buy the products. And this is where um, in some states, um, not Maryland, but many states in the United States have uh, alcohol in the grocery stores. And so really, when I say permeating the culture, it goes beyond just the entertainment side, but really looking at how can we target special moments for families? How can we target and, 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 and put, get someone to put our bottle in the cart as they're shopping for a special holiday? Um, and so these are cultural moments, significant moments, um, that we that that the companies are are targeting, and as a for me, my background is I am half black, half Mexican, um, and I speak Spanish. My mother was born in Mexico, and so what that does, adding that I'm also a woman, is for it, it made me a very attractive candidate for alcohol companies that are notoriously, they, they are quite behind on diversity hiring efforts. Um, and so the multicultural, we'll say space, when you look at a lot um, of the very few black and brown people who work in the alcohol space, we are often pigeonholed into some type of multicultural marketing capacity. We are told that that is where our value is, is to help uh, target our communities. All right, hold, hold that thought right there. Let me just tell the family, uh, some of the folks that are using in our community to sell products to us, just, and these are just in the NBA, uh, LeBron James, Michael Jordan, uh, Steph Curry, The Beard, uh, James Harden, uh, uh, who's that? Um, uh, Dwayne Wade is also there, and uh, uh, I, I can't think of the names of the, these folks. I see their pictures, but they all got got some alcohol, you know. And they say that's, that's their drink. So uh, Charles Barkley's got one too. That's the name I was thinking about. Just look at their pictures, and and I posted this on social media. So folks, you go to my social media, you, you'll see what it is. So they, when when they sign these contracts. They, how does it work? Can do you are you are you familiar with the, what they do when you know they they, they pick a, a, an NBA player for example, and we can throw Diddy in there because we know he had one. He talked about his, but if, when they sign it, do they actually create the the drink, or they just say, hey, you can we'll use this to you we will use your name to promote the drink? Is is it a, a contract for life, or is it a, is, does it as the sunset? Can you can you talk to us about that? So there is a, a, a distinction that gets blurred when communicating to consumers is the distinction between influencer and owner. So we can look at someone like Jay-Z and, and his product, say, which there's a lot of public information here. So I, I don't believe I'm giving away any insider secrets when I talk about Jay-Z and Doucet. Um You have Jay-Z, the individual the the face the man the influencer and then you have that he he actually owns a liquor company um, which is quite rare for several of the other names that you mentioned right so there's the idea of having a stake in the company as yourself as it as your entity or owning an organization that has a stake in the company which we saw with jay-z jay-z did both uh, with his partnership with Bacardi, who is the parent brand of Ducé Cognac. 
And so that particular uh, contract is, is every contract is going to be nuanced. And so for the consumer, it was a bit confusing because it goes back to what I was saying when, when I brought up the amendments in the constitution, um, where it, that is relevant is there are a lot of laws into how alcohol is produced at a facility, at a distillery, at a brewery, and how it is distributed into the hands of consumers. And so while there might be someone who has a stake on the manufacturing side where it's produced, what we see is it gets filtered through a distribution network where this, where this person has no power. This influencer, this quote owner has no power. And a lot of power is, is owned by the distributor who is in hand, hand in hand working with the actual conglomerate that owns the brand. And so it's a very convoluted space because of the laws that are mentioned and enacted through the U.S. Constitution. And that's where I say it is not a simple, oh, this is a Black-owned brand, which is very quick to get, uh, very quick for, for a company to slap that label on by giving a small stake. Um, when you talk about the influencers and their contracts, yes, an influencer is someone who does not have a stake in the company, does not have any ownership in the company, and is taking on the brand for a particular set amount of time for dollars. But what I have found in working with influencers is that they are significantly not only removed from the brand, but the business side. And so while it is nice and, and in marketing we have a lot of what i call feel good moments it might feel good to say well this is black owned and this is a black brand when we really look at the ownership papers <laughs> this is where we see that that doesn't quite translate in the same way and right, go ahead go ahead no, I was going to say it's 30 minutes off the top there. And it kind of sounds like the record business, too. You know, the record business where we, we've got our own labels, our record companies. But in the end, there's a limited amount of distributors at the top end of the game, the food chain in the record business. It's like with two or three record companies right now and everybody, everything is channeled through them. Is it the same with, with the liquor industry or, or the alcohol industry, I should say? Yes, absolutely. So there are three tiers in the alcohol system. Um, and so the first tier is going to be the, the, the companies that are making the product. I would say about 90, this is a rough estimate, but about 90% of the brands on the market are owned by around 10 conglomerates. But where it becomes more relevant is at that next level, the distribution level. There are really only about four distributors in the country, in the United States. Um, and really, two for liquor, two for beer. Um, there are... Well, let me, let me ask you this, though, before you go any further. Any of them black-owned? <laughs> um, I will say in my 15 years in this industry, I don't think I've heard of a black-owned distributor. If anyone can correct me and bring one to uh, my attention, I would be thrilled, but uh, no, absolutely not. Um, 
And and even at the supplier level, I would say that these conglomerates are overwhelmingly European brands. So these are like international groups that own the control the the and I keep saying liquor because I guess that's the streets but if you say alcohol I guess the uh, upscale upscale way of saying it but in the alcohol industry they they're mostly international uh, like conglomerates who own all the uh, the alcohol industry all the beverages that are out there mostly european conglomerates that operate with a lot of their headquarters either in Europe or North America. There is uh, the Centauri brand, which is an Asian uh, organization. Um, but yes, they're mostly European brands. And, and that's for most of the market. I will say that there are microbreweries and micro distilleries, meaning small, local, community based. Um, however, as they scale, there are laws that require that they use one of those four distributors I mentioned. And so they then have to try to get a contract with those distributors, which is extremely difficult as an independent micro distillery or brewer. And this is where a big conglomerate comes in and says, we will take you on because we already have the distribution network with one of these four distributors. And that's speaking since it's international, the African continent, do, do they have their, or they still have to use these Europeans to get their alcohol to the different African states or do they have their own? McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Do you know? So my experience is specific to North America and Europe alone. The African market as a whole is considered an emerging market. Um, especially when we look at the Middle East. The alcohol companies are investing at the highest rates ever to target that market. One of the concerns about targeting the African market, which is seen as one large market, is that uh, they don't have the same distribution network that we see in Europe and North America. And also, there is a severe lack of education at the consumer level for African consumers in terms of responsible, I say that with quotations, consumption. Um, So that is a completely different segment that is usually ran out of a European office or an African office. Being based in North America, I am not privy to the business operations of Africa specifically. Um, All I do know is that there are um, a lot of dollars being invested to actively target African consumers today. 
Right. I, thought, I heard that. That's why I asked that question. Anyway, we've come up on a break. Mark from Anaheim has been listening and he says hello. He's got a question for you. We'll t- I'll pose the question to you when we get back. Folks, you want to join this conversation with Ella Parler. She's written a book. Uh, the book is titled High Tolerance about the alcohol industry. Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. We'll take your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB in the DMV or on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL where information is power. And good morning again, family. Thanks for rolling with us this morning. It's uh, 20 minutes away from the top of the hour with our guest, Ella Paula. She's written a book about the alcohol industry, a comprehensive look at it. It's called High Tolerance. And before we go back to it, though, let me just remind you, coming up later this morning, we're going to continue uh, the marketing aspect of the book. It's a, it's, a, you know, it's a real rounded book, but we're looking at the marketing aspect of it with marketing expert Overton Wilkins. He wants to discuss the changes that AI is bringing into the marketing industry. And also Chairman Fred Hampton is going to join us later this morning as well. Tomorrow, of course, is Friday, and we give you a chance to free your mind, think for yourself, and reach out to us on our Open Phone Friday program. We can promptly at 6 a.m. Eastern time right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB, also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. Ella, Sister Fahima is us uh, from Washington, D.C. She's on line one. She has a question or a comment for, for you. Good morning, Sister Fahima. Good morning, Mr. Nelson, and greetings to your guests. Can you hear me? Sure. Yes. So uh, uh, there's a uh, family-owned West African uh, Nigerian beer company, Star, which your guests may be familiar with. And recently, I mean, I was introduced to, to this product when I was in grad school, and recently one of the daughters uh, has taken over the company. So I reached out to her. She told me, you know, what how I could get the product here in D.C. So what would happen on these uh, food delivery uh, apps, you had to order a different product in order to get it. Just like, remember, back in the day, you'd buy a ticket to a black movie and they give you, you go in to see a black movie, they give you a ticket to a different movie and the black movie wouldn't get credit. And then I had a friend in California who I was telling about the product and he said, one of the stores was supposed to get, oh, well, the bottle looks funny. So these are black, this is a black owned uh, West African um, family owned uh, business. And it's kind of like they're being locked out of the market and they're not getting, you know, they'll say, oh, well, your sales aren't well, and they're giving credit to some other, some other uh, product, even though people are buying this black owned product. Could you speak about how things like that, the few actual black owned um, uh, companies that are owned are kind of locked out of the market. And I just wanted to briefly say, do you have uh, celebrities, Carl, to your earlier discussion, who endorse products? And then you have celebrities, and there are only a few of them who actually own uh, these companies. And even um, Diddy, who had, uh, I think it might have been Chirac. I could be wrong. I've never, you know, indulged in that. But he was suing the company because they weren't marketing his product appropriately. So could you, your guess, um, would you uh, comment on those two things that I mentioned? All right. Thank you, Sister Fahima. Ella? Yes. <clears throat> yes. So uh, thank you so much for putting Star on my radar. I had not heard of them. Um, so I can't speak specifically to their nuances and what they're experiencing, but exactly what you're talking about is where I keep bringing up 
the 18th and 21st Amendment of the Constitution. When I say that there is red tape in the market, we are talking about a historical implication that goes far beyond any of us uh, today. Um, and so exactly what you're talking about is that distribution gap. The idea that you have, we'll, we'll use different technologies, so it could be DoorDash or Uber Eats, um, Reserve Bar. These various alcohol delivery companies are in bed with these large multi-billion dollar conglomerates. And for an independent brand to succeed by the way that the law requires these brands to be distributed, they have to sell out. I, I, I don't mean to be oversimplistic in saying that, um, but to survive in that space, which is so legally regulated, it makes it virtually impossible for a brand to expand because even if they have people such as yourself who are actively seeking the brand, there are so many tiers. Right. So you're adding the to get it on the shelf at the retailer. Someone has to deliver it there. And legally, the brand is not allowed to do it themselves. They have to hire a third party distributor who then controls how it is activated in the retailer to be available through an e-commerce delivery platform like you're talking about. And so when we're looking at sales records, it is very difficult to gauge because the product is sold three times through this tier system before it ever reaches the end consumer, making it virtually impossible for the manufacturer, star, the actual makers of the product to have accurate sales data. Does that now, answer your question? Yeah, she's gone. I think it does. And it reminds me of uh, the late Dr. Renoka Rashidi. One of the things, because he traveled the world and we sort of traveled in vicariously. And every country he'd go to, he'd like to sample the food, especially the drinks as well. And he, he mentioned uh, there's, there's a beer in in Nigeria, a, a local beer in Nigeria that he liked. There's, there's the Cary beer out of Trinidad and there's also the Red Stripe beer out of Jamaica. And he, and he was saying, you know, we should be able to, you know, to be able to get those kind of drinks here. I guess it speaks to what uh, Sister Fahima was talking about too. But that's that's interesting uh, that you mentioned how difficult it is. It's kind of like, oh, I, well, I said it kind of like the the uh, music industry is kind of hard enough for people, independent people to get their records played unless they're assigned to a big label. Is, is, is yes. that a, a good analogy? Absolutely. It's it's very on par. Um, I, I would say the, the, the difference is is that while there are some legal, there are some laws that regulate the music industry, the alcohol industry is significantly regulated at the federal, state, and local government level. So when you add those regulations, it doesn't leave a lot of room for growth or innovation. Um, she also brought up Ciroc and, and P. Diddy, and, and I think one of the most beautiful things that Ciroc as a brand did was it was started in the early 2000s, and 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 Diddy was was really one of the first influencers. Um, he 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 kept calling it his vodka. This is my vodka. This is my vodka. And until he spoke that into existence. But let's not get it twisted, everybody. Ciroc is a French brand owned by a European conglomerate, <laughs> um, and so. 
uh, well, th- this is exactly what I'm talking about, where there may be a space, but the actual sales and dollars and, and, and where the actual ownership lies, once everybody else got their payout, um, you, you, that's where you might see really prominent individuals recognize that they are, are um, how do I say this nicely? They are being leveraged to target specific communities. Yeah, 12 away from the top. As I mentioned, Mark Mannheim's listening and he's familiar with your work and, and he's got a, a, sent me a question for you and he says, is it true that before you could even talk, you already had a poster hanging over your bed depicting 35 strong black women and he wants to know how did such early childhood experiences influence you, your life later as an adult? <laughs> um, well, I'm, I'm very flattered to hear that Mark from Anaheim is listening in. Hello. Um, I, I, I appreciate the diligence and, and research into my background. That's uh, going very deep into the archives. Uh, but yes, that is true. I grew up with a beautiful poster of prominent black women of the U.S. history. And wow, that's really taking it back because um, I, I was raised uh, to have positive role models um, and a sense of cultural pride and identity which is, is really part of why I felt called and excited to be a part of the positive change. That was my intention working in the industry. If you talk to anybody you know um, in, the, in the alcohol industry that is black or brown, I can almost promise you they are fatigued. They are tired because we are working hard to try to find that balance of representation, challenging stereotypes, um, being understanding and empathetic, having social awareness, having business acumen, building generational wealth where we can. And a lot of those values that we all um, behold were instilled within me because of having very um, incredible role models that I was looking up to at a very young age. Right. And in the book also, you do a chapter on a sobering epiphany, almost closing out. What was that? What's that all about? Um, So as I mentioned, I I did have some health setbacks and, and really the nature of the book is, is to challenge our, as a society, really our association and identity with alcohol. Mine is a bit more entrenched because I've dedicated my entire career to it. So it's not just a love of the drink, which I frankly admittedly do have, but beyond that, really the, um, love and duality and the struggles and the beauty of my relationship with the, with the industry and with the products. Um, I've, I've met a lot of incredible people and ultimately with the book, what I wanted to offer is one, an insight into the industry because there are no other books that offer the perspective of working in the industry. All the books that talk about alcohol focus on sobriety and addiction, but I had a very different narrative to tell. And furthermore, I really want to empower people to navigate their challenges. I want to help people find corporate and career success and, and, and really build resilience in the face of adversity. And so when I talk about the sobering epiphany, it, is, it goes back to what I mentioned, being in that hospital bed 
and getting phone calls from all these alcohol companies because I, I was out of work suddenly, unexpectedly, and had multiple surgeries, and which I talk about in detail in my book. But And then dealing with the duality of this pressure of, we got to sell this alcohol. Where are you? What are you doing? And I thought to myself, what am I doing? And that was my sobering epiphany. Um, and so what I hope to do for individuals is empower voices, offer diverse representation, both in my authentic voice as a writer, but also give a perspective that really is not in the market today. Yeah. And you also talk about the darker side of alcohol. Yes. I, again, I am not a psychologist. I am not a sober coach. I have made a career selling alcohol and that is not lost upon me. I'm very grateful for the opportunities um, and advancements that my career has brought me. So my intention is not to um, demean the alcohol industry as a whole. I have been an integral part of it for several years. Um, that said, we cannot deny that, one, we know statistically people are drinking more than ever. Beyond that, we know that alcohol is a detriment to many communities um, and, and is, goes hand in hand. You cannot speak about poverty and impoverishment without talking about alcohol dependency. And then furthermore, when we look at the implications specifically of black communities and the historical implications with prohibition and, and the disparity of black individuals and communities being targeted during prohibition at higher rates than other communities. But then even taking it today, where in Baltimore, you know, John Hopkins did a study and we see that black communities are three times more likely to have liquor stores in their communities than their white, white or racially in, uh, integrated counterparts. So what I want to do is talk about, all right, as a community, what are we doing? What are we consuming? Are we numbing ourselves? And how are we going to work to heal ourselves? All right. And, and Ella, hold the thought right there because we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to find out if you feel any feel any guilt or is this is this book a, a cathartic, you, you know, you're getting away, rid of your guilt because of you helping sell alcohol to our community. So I want to get your, your personal thoughts when we get back. But we got to take a quick look at the traffic and weather in our different cities and the folks in Baltimore got to get caught up on the news. We're back in four minutes, though, at six away from the top of the hour right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV, we're on FM 95. 95- Point nine and AM fourteen fifty W O L, where information is power. And good morning again, family. A minute after the top of the hour, with our guest Ella Polish, has written a book. It's called High Tolerance about the alcohol industry. And my question to you before Ella, before we left for the traffic and weather update, is the book because it's a comprehensive look at the alcohol industry, and you also point out what it's done to our community. And knowing now what you know, and you put it on paper, was this book written? This is a personal question to assuage, I guess, you, if, if you will, your conscious, knowing that you, you played a role also in getting alcohol into our communities. I think it would be a very fair. It's a question I get often: is is this an act of contrition? And and for me, it's not. It, it really is my story, my journey. Um, again, overwhelmingly, we know that the industry just lacks a lot of diversity and representation. To this day, 
I've never had a black manager, a black line manager, uh, or direct leader. And all of the hundreds of employees who've worked for me cannot say the same. And so to be able to create the inclusive culture that we, that we want um, in, in, in uh, corporate America, to be a role model to other black individuals, the one that I didn't have, black, brown, female individuals in the industry, um, to be a part of advocacy, change, and empowerment in the industry, uh, and breaking barriers, I, I, I don't feel uh, guilt. I, I do feel empowered, and, and I think that I was able to, to help change some of the dialogue, uh, especially um, with a lot of the changes that we've seen in uh, cultural conversations and being able to celebrate our culture and, and find ways to highlight and celebrate uh, authentic voices in the Black community is something that I am extremely proud of. Um, but at this point, I'm ready to to find to, to write my next chapter. Well, let me ask you this, though. Since you were the only black person there, black or brown person there, female most of the time, did you have to do some code switching dealing with the other folks when you had to deal with them? Or did you did you maintain your your culture when you when you dealt with them? <laughs> um I will say that my passion comes through. Uh, I, yes, I would say in, in general, yes. I think we all code switch to an extent. How we might talk to our mother might be different how we speak to our best friend, right? Um, and I, I do try to maintain an authentic voice in, in every room I'm at. But there's also a time where in a corporate space, uh, regardless of what you may look like or what the other individuals in the room may look like, where there is a, a, a particular business acumen and decorum that is expected. Um, but I did uh, make it clear in interview processes that I am not someone who is going to filter myself to the point of not being authentic to who I am. I made it clear, look, we, we, we don't see a lot of brown voices in this room. And if that is what you're trying to target and work on, then you'll have to accept that there will be times where I'm going to push back and challenge some of the mindsets. And that's going to include showing up as my authentic self every day. But did you ever feel the pressure that you representing the entire black, brown community, female community in these meetings? Was that a pressure point for you? McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Absolutely. Um, and it was one that really, as I scaled up the ladder, that I 
I struggled with, you know, is this really the battle that I want? But my mother was so kind and so empowering and said, if not you, then who? And so that's where I, I decided to, to continue my pursuit. Um, and, and then I had a reckoning and, and decided that I'm, I'm ready to step uh, forward into a new direction and, and serve people on an individual basis instead of trying to change the corporate world. Right. Great advice from your mom, by the way. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that with us. Uh, Ella, before we let you go, how can we get copies of your book? Oh, High Tolerance is available most easily on Amazon. You can find um, any way to contact me, reach my book. I have signed copies available online. If you go to ellaparlor.com, parlor is spelled just like pizza parlor, so that's going to be E-L-L-A-P-A-R-L-O-R. All right, before we go, uh, Jay Marie's calling from Tennessee on line two, wants to speak to you. Uh, Jay, good morning. Hi, good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much, Ms. Parla, for sharing uh, your story. I look forward to getting this book. I'm going to order it today. I just heard you say that you're ready to write your next chapter. Can you share briefly what that will include? And I certainly hope that it will include breaking barriers in this industry, particularly in the (laughs) African on the continent. Um, so I, what I am doing now is I'm, I've been serving as a business consultant for years now. And as I've been working with various executives, I'm noticing that they are fatigued and plagued with a lot of difficult decisions. And so where I want to help individuals is transform when they're going through um, a big life or career change. So I'm serving individuals as a business and life strategist, helping them get a grip on their life breakthrough uh, stagnation and and really where I'm hoping is to help individuals with with their personal lives. Um, I don't know that I will be serving the alcohol industry or sector anymore. I will say some of my clients are still in the sector because they want someone who understands um, their their specific nuances. But um, at this time, I am working to help individuals instead of companies and brands. Thank you. Thank you. I look forward to getting the book. Thank Bye. you so much. Have a great one. Bye. All right. Thank you, Jay Marie. All right, Ella, again, one more time. Where, where can we get, pick up your book? Uh, my book is available on Amazon. It hit a few bestseller uh, lists upon launch a few weeks ago, um, but you can find it on Amazon, High Tolerance, Ella Parlor, or you can go to my website if you would like a signed copy, and you can order a signed copy at my website, ellaparlor.com. All right. Thank you. And thank you for being the spook, if you will, who sat at the door and shared all this information with us this morning. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Mr. Nelson. All right. That's Ella Parler, folks. The book is called High Tolerance. You know, we we, we got some brilliant folks in our community. And, we, and, and you know, I keep quoting Dr. Wilson. Part of the problem is they're working on the white side of the chessboard inside of the black side of the chessboard. That's one who's working on the white side of the chessboard, but she was working for us. She was making moves for us. Anyway, thank you again, Ella. 800-450-7876. Good morning, Overton Wilkins. Welcome back to the program. So Overton there on, on line one? Not here in Overton. I don't know. Yeah, I can hear you now because I was just going to say Overton's not a bashful brother. I know, I know he <laughs> he can speak. <laughs> Good morning, sir. Good morning, sir. How you doing? Excellent. Overton is a marketing expert. You've heard it here before, and and Overton AI artificial intelligence is moving into your area. 
What what do we what how can we tell and what should we look for? Well, it, it's going to be a scary uh, change of landscape, Carl. Uh, you won't be able to look for anything because AI. What most people don't realize about AI, it's really the intelligence of the computers talking to each other, and we're just using that information to ascertain, like the young lady was saying earlier, uh, different ways of branding and marketing to people. It's going to get a lot more complicated in the sense of knowing who's real and who's not real. That's the biggest challenge with AI. I had a great conversation with uh, some college uh, professors, and they were saying to me, you know, it's the hardest thing now with the young people who are using AI and chat, uh, different differentiations of uh, AI, is the work that they turn in. You won't be able to tell what was done by AI and what was done by the human. So now the biggest change in AI is going to be providing a, a mechanism for AI to be detected in the, in the new classroom. So that's one of the biggest challenges you're going to find in AI right now that I see. Right. But for, in the business world, because you're a marketing guy, how can we tell the difference in, in AI, what, what is real or, or not, and how, how they can use it? Is, is it going to be more precise when they're targeting their, uh, their, their clients? Has it, is it going to be a, a, a bone for you, or will it work for you? How do you see it? Well, it, it's going to be a boom for marketers because of the fact that now we have what we call target marketing. That was a new uh, go-to word for the last five to six years has been target marketing, which it means to go after the exact audience you want. Meaning, if I want to reach uh, red-headed, left-handed golfers, I could go and do target marketing and reach those people. Now with AI, it's going to be precise to the fact that I can find red-headed golfers age 18 to 25 who drive certain cars and eat at certain restaurants because of the fact that all the information that is being gleaned through our daily activities online, all just your daily activities that you do anything online with a computer, that information is being harvested and being used to find you, to target you and give you a precise ad, meaning if you want to buy golf clubs under $150, it would send you an ad that's for golf clubs of $150. It won't send you one for $1,050 because you're not that market. It will be able to precisely say this person would be able to buy golf clubs for $150. And that's how it's going to impact us in the new world of marketing. For us, it's great, but it's going to also impact us in employment because of the fact that the AI machine will be taking over a lot of the research that we were doing. The only thing that saves us is our human contact, meaning people buy from people they like. So that is always going to still be there, but the AI component is going to change it to the fact of, you know, I can give you more precise information as the uh, consumer and also as the seller. So both people will be getting great information, but it's going to come at a high cost too. Yeah, but explain this to me because you're saying they're using the information that's on social media. You know, a lot of people like to exaggerate, on, you know, and make more money than they do, drive a bigger car than they live in a more expensive neighborhood. And so, so how is that? How is AI gonna 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 use that? How are they gonna compensate for people who exaggerate their, their means and what they have? Well, the, the, that's gonna be one of the things that's gonna be a problem. But the thing about it, it's gonna extract that information from everything you do. So, I mean, you can, there's a lot of people write different things on their websites and things that they do, but you also make comments. You also, where you're located, geolocation. So if you tell someone, I'm making a million dollars, I live in Hollywood Hills, and on and on and on with that type of information. Well, you got to remember, geolocation 
will let the let the computer know exactly where you're calling from. So if you're calling from Northwest D.C. and you're saying you live in Beverly Hills, the computer's gonna know that you're not telling the truth. So it's gonna also take your information and extrapolate it to the point of what's real and what's not real. So that's what I'm saying about the depth of AI. It's it's ability to just go in and look at everything that you do across the broad spectrum of your life. Sometimes your financial things of nature are also shown. So you don't really know what's going on, but if you're using your computer every day for finances, for dates, for job seeking, for any any numerous things that you can do, that information is going to be harvested by that computer, and it's going to take it and break it down to its finite moment to see if you're telling the truth or not. All right, hold that thought right there. Over to I got to take a short break and check the traffic and weather in our different cities. Folks, you want to join this conversation about AI and marketing? This is the person you need to speak to. His name is Overton Wilkins. You can reach him at 800 450 7876. We'll take your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also, we're in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL, where information is power. And good morning again, family. Thanks for rolling with us this morning. Interesting morning, as usual. 20 minutes after the top AI with our guest, Overton Wilkins. He's a marketing expert, and he's filling us in on how AI, artificial intelligence, is changing his field. you got a question or comment, reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Go to line one. Ramon is reaching out to us. He's in Washington, D.C. Good morning, Ramon. Good morning, gentlemen. May the higher powers bless uh, both of you. Um, quick question about AI. How um will that uh, how does AI affect watching your smart TV? Does that do anything regarding what you're you're, you're watching, what they're recording, or anything like that? Uh, well, what I what I can tell you is that AI is going to be impactful in the fact of what you're going to be watching. Some of the movies, some of the television shows you're going to be seeing are going to be generated by AI. Uh, what they had, that was one of the main reasons for the strike they had in uh, California for the writer's deal is the fact that AI can actually write scripts. You can actually go to it and say, hey, I want a show that depicts uh, five young ladies living in New York, you know, struggling to make a, a living. Uh, and they can, it can actually put a script together for you. It'll write the script out all the way down to, to the final scene if you want it. As long as you give it information on how you want it to flow, it can write it for you. So, yes, it's going to impact what you do. Now, as far as, you know, cost and as far as uh, any other tangible part of it all, you still have the, the ability to say, I don't want to subscribe to HBO. Excuse me. I don't want to subscribe to this service channel. I don't want to subscribe to this entertainment channel. You still be able to do that. It's just the fact that what's going to be generated by those shows you're watching is going to have a, AI is going to play a big, big role in that now. Uh, let me jump in here for a second, Ramon and Overton. So, so AI can if if they if they know what you're doing on, on the internet on social on social media, can they create a, 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 a speaking about Hollywood now? Can create a show because they know a lot of people, a lot of black people, kind of like what what the what was it the Popeyes thing hysteria? Can they do that? Can they create yeah. a hysteria like that over over a show? Yeah, that's 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 what it's all about. Could they be able to inject into different communities? what we call trailers, that will you will see it. I mean, you get trailers now. I mean, every movie that comes out is a trailer. But you don't get every trailer because of the fact that how, what you watch and what movies you, you know, shows you watch, movies you go to, all that is collected. Remember, when you go buy a ticket to the movie, that information is garnished by them. That's, that's, that's pertinent information that you went to 
whichever movie theater you go to to see this certain movie, that information, when you buy that ticket, all that information, that, that information is used to enhance them on how to reach you, how to reach people like you, how to reach anything that they want to get to to get that movie information to you. Because you'd be amazed you say, oh, how did I get this, this trailer right here? Well, that's true. you got that trailer because of the fact that you went to see certain movies in the past, and it says to them that you're a good candidate to go to the movie to see this movie. So that's, that's the part that a lot of people are going to be sleeping on, that your information that you put in your computer, you, whatever you do with your computer, that information is being harvested every day. And it's, sadly, there's no way to protect yourself because that's what now, they're uh, right now. Now, I, I noticed that in uh, white neighborhoods or white radio program shows uh, that they're talking about um, – the COVID-19 shot and, 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 and as far as the lawsuits that they're trying to generate from that and the destruction that that um, has done on uh, thousands and thousands of people alive. But in the black community, um, they're, they're, and they're talking about the COVID shot still come and get another COVID shot. So the, how does that, uh, is that generated by AI too? Well, it, 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 AI is gener- only generated by the information that's inputted into it. A computer cannot think, when I say think in the sense of, it can't come up with its own ideas like you can. That's the difference between, art. that's why it's called artificial intelligence, because it's not real intelligence. It's intelligence that's been impacted by the information you put into your brain. Just like every day you read and, and, and observe different things, your brain is like a gigantic computer that's taking that information in and changing your mindset. Well, the AI system can only be generated by the information that's put in it. So when you just said about the COVID information, there's two fighting factors in the COVID deal, good and bad. Our community is being impacted for getting the shot. The other side is saying, no, don't get the shot. Well, it's just a matter of inputting that information that goes toward that audience. There's a lot of people in that other audience that has conspiracy or health-related ideas, whatever it may be. That that means there's a market for that to be sent to them. Our community is based yep. on when I say our community is based on health. Then that information is pushed to us for health. Now, when you get into the deep woods of you know different things of, of you know information, like we all know about the syphilis test and what happened to us during that era. That's one of the big things about us not wanting to get COVID tested because remember they told us that this was a test that was going to help us when in fact it was a test that was killing us. They wanted to watch how we died from it. That still is rear is still on the top of people's minds, especially older Americans, especially older Black Americans. They knew about that test. We younger people did not know about that test was going on or think nobody would do that. So that's the negative and the positive of information that's being put out. Again, I, I can only tell people: research, read different ideas, read different uh, you know avenues of information before you make a conscious decision. Because if you just go rely on one source of information. You're putting yourself out there. All right. Ramon, you have a follow-up? That's it? Uh, uh, one more thing. Isn't it, uh, isn't it also true about who programs AI yeah. to target certain communities? Yes, it is. That's the, that is the biggest, what you call, what we call in the business, that is the biggest, <clears throat> excuse me, flaw of AI. Because AI is just like anybody else. If I put my biases on paper, those biases go into the newspaper and on the radio and go out into the world because it's my bias. Well, if I do the same thing in the a computer algorithm, then the same thing happens. If I say, just to use a, you know, what's going on today, that black men are dangerous, then that 
guy is going to be going out there under that guise that black men are dangerous. So when I write a computer code, I'm writing a code that shows that black men are dangerous. That's one of the big things now with facial recognition. We're the hardest people to to have facial recognition because of our different bone structures and things of that nature. But we also look similar, meaning, Ramon, if you committed a crime, I could be arrested for it because AI would say it's me because it's looking at the biases of the people who put that information together. So that means now if you just walking down the street, you could be arrested under a guy that you committed a crime because computers say you look like the person that did it. That is the biggest problem they're having right now. That's why facial right. recognition is still in the back burner. Thanks, Ramon. Okay. Thank, Thank you. you for your question. And, and uh, this is why one of our listeners, uh, Overton, sent me this uh, 18 free, best free, free, let me, again, free AI training courses for 2023. Well, the year's yeah. almost over, but I know you can, they're probably still doing it. And, and one of them is at Harvard. And the listener says, please encourage your people to enroll in one of these classes, free classes, preferably Harvard, says this is a new, new industry. <clears throat> Our young people need to be training in and learning instead of being afraid of AI. But I want to uh, get back to a question that uh, Ramon sort of posed. It, we didn't go there, so I'll have to go straight there. Can they now program using AI, market an, a, a, a product or, or service to other people and not us. Can they do that, leave us out of the equation? Oh, yeah, they've been doing that for years. That's been going on for years. I mean, it's just now it's being able to be done electronically. I mean, like the, uh, Ramon said earlier, you can go in different neighborhoods and you have to see different, just look at the billboards. That's just, a, I call people, tell them that's the standard way of looking at what's being shown in your neighborhood. You can go in our neighborhood and you'll see, as the young lady, Miss um, uh, Parler said, you know, alcohol commercials are pushed on our community. You go right down the street and you see two nice people standing up there having a cocktail, having a drink, and they're telling you, encouraging you to drink alcohol. And then you can go into other neighborhoods, you'll never see one of those ads on the, on the billboard because those ads subconsciously get you to drink. That's the whole idea. You may think you're making a choice, but you're not. You've been programmed to drink alcohol because you see these images all the time of being successful, being, you know, rich, being, you know, as the young people say, in the mix, at the clubs. You see all those images constantly and subconsciously it's telling you that. I tell people all the time, think about this. If you're on an airplane or you're in a restaurant or something and the waitress comes up and says, hi, right, can I get you something to drink? Five years ago, you know what nine, people would say, nine out of ten people would say? I'll take a Coke. Because they've been programmed by Coca-Cola commercials. And so you automatically in your mind say, I want a Coke. Or you go out and you say, I want to, you know, you want to drink? I'll have this or I have that. Because you, those images that you've seen on billboards, television, radio, heard on radio, seen on billboards, seen on TV, radio, and everything else, they have programmed you into doing that. And that's what, that's the scary part, that people don't realize every day that you go out, you are being basically programmed or approached to be programmed by different products. That is the goal of marketing, is to program you into buying our person's product. That's what, right. we, that's what we do every day. Twin nine away from top of the hour. Before we go to Maurice, though, I'm going to ask you this question, because you talked about uh, Coke. And it's not the only cola that's out there, but yeah. somehow it's, when you, people think about cola, they think about Coke. When they think about yes, a copying machine, they think about Xerox. They say, I'm going to Xerox it. How difficult or how skillful was it to make that transformation that their brand becomes the, the colloquial word for, for, the, for, the, for the program? 
McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning their chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. It's just constant repetition. It's, every, it's like anything else. If I constantly show you images of something, your mind will take that as being truthful. Just like I said about, about African-American men being dangerous. If I tell you that over and over and over again, you will automatically think African-American men are dangerous, and you will respond to them as a, as a, as a danger to the judicial system, to the police system. I mean, we see that every day in the newspapers. One person went into, into you know, dealing with the police are different from other people. We, we think, okay, everybody's going to walk the police going to walk into the car and ask you for your driver's license and registration. Well, that doesn't happen to everybody. Some people come at much more aggressively. You know, in certain communities, the police are not going to have their hand on their gun or have their gun pulled out when they approach the car. But in other communities, just for the fact that they've been programmed to think that these people are dangerous, then you're going to approach them in a dangerous manner. And those are the reasons why we have certain situations jumping off that we can't even believe that happened. You know, that's, that's, that's part of it. That's, like the gentleman said, you have to watch who's programming the program. And the young lady said about getting up more African-American young people in the AI system is very, very important. But if you don't have people who look like you sitting at that table, they're going to write the story about you without your input. And that's what the, I think Ms. Pollard was saying about the young lady who was speaking earlier about the alcohol uh, situation. That's what's being done. She was the only one sitting in that room. So when she didn't come to work that day, when she took vacation, everything they were talking about is going to be geared toward their people, not with you included at all because they don't look at you the same way. Wow, that's deep. I hope folks understood what you just said there, Overton. But anyway, while they digest that, we've got to take a short break, check the uh, news, traffic, and weather in different cities. Maurice wants as a question for you. Folks, you too can join our conversation with Overton Wilkins. Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. We'll take your calls in four minutes at 26 away from the top here, right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL, where information is power. And good morning again, family. 20 minutes away from the top of the hour with our guest, Overton Wilkins. He's a marketing expert. He's describing to us what AI, artificial intelligence, is doing to his business, how it's changing. Before we go back to him, though, let me just remind you, coming up later this morning, we'll speak with Chairman Fred Hampton from Chicago. Also, tomorrow is Friday, and there's another edition of Open Phone Friday. We give you a chance to free your mind and think for yourself and reach out to us at 800-450-7876. We'll take your call starting at 6 a.m. Eastern Time right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. All right, over to him. Before we left for the news, traffic, and weather update, I mentioned that Maurice wanted to speak to you. He's on line three. Good morning, Maurice. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I have a question more on the marketing side of things. I'm a small business owner in retirement planning and life insurance. And during COVID, it's just been a tough transition 
to, you know, still be able to attain clients. So how would you recommend, like, for someone like myself to take advantage of AI in the most economical way possible to, say, build a website and then uh, have the ability to market to the clients that I'm looking to attain? Okay. Uh, well, first off, when people say economically, the only scary part about the new uh, media world, using uh, AI is going to be not really expensive, but it's going to be more costly than your traditional newspapers or even radio. <clears throat> but the thing that it will do, it will enhance your quality of your clientele in the sense of your search. Because I know your search has specific parameters of what you're looking for and what you're trying to ascertain from those people to see if they make a, a great fit for your product. So I would say to you, uh, number one, get yourself a good digital programming. But that's going to be really helpful for your website. Also, if you can work with a digital company, you know, people say reputable companies, you know, I don't, I don't advise anybody on certain companies better than others. That's why I tell people to do their research, but I would definitely give me a real good digital company that can deep dive into your digital, uh, what you're looking for. I always tell people there's a big difference between social media and digital advertising. They're, they sound alike, but they're totally different. Social media is more, you know, seeing people's cars and houses and who's, who's dating who, things of that nature. But digital marketing is a more precise science of actually taking your product and saying these are the type of, you know, you give them the, the parameters of what you want. And they actually deep dive into all the data that's out there to help you find those people and also keep your advertising costs down because then you're only going after people that you want. Whereas if you go nothing against TV or radio or anything of that nature, they're more of a broad-based, big net kind of grab. Like you can grab up all kinds of things in the big net, but 60% of the stuff you grab won't be of any use to you, and that's 60% of the money that you've used to try to get those people that are no use to you. So I would just say to you, uh, definitely research into getting a good digital company, not a social media company, but a digital company that can help you deep dive into your product, into your the people that would need your product and services. And, yes, the pandemic hurt everybody, but it also enlightened a lot of people on how they can use information to get the products that they want also. All right. Oh, that was Thank, Thank you, Maurice. Uh, Overton, it, can, is there any escaping AI, artificial intelligence, when it comes to marketing? If you use the, if say you, you're not on social media, are you going to escape AI? No, it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to impact you because just going to the grocery store, you go to the grocery store and you buy a product. That, that, that can, every time they run it past that little eye that scans your product, well, it's letting them know that, we're selling this much spaghetti sauce. We're selling this much pasta, pasta and all that. Now, you may pay cash or you may use a card. If well, you're using a card, then that card is automatically detected in the system. That's none of your information, financial information, like we can get into your to your bank account, take your money out. I always try to tell people it's not that type of conspiracy. It's more information based on the products that you're buying, and that's what they want to, to watch uh, all right, let me jump in here and ask you this. We're at the grocery store and I buy a can of peas and I pay cash. Do they know that I bought a can of peas and I paid no. cash? No, they won't know that because, again, you're off the grid if you use cash. If you use cards, then that card information is, is generated to the card company who didn't sell that information to marketers like me that says Card Nelson likes bird's eye peas. So now I'm going to send you coupons and 
information on Bird's Eye Peas because you bought it. So my thing is you bought it once, you'll buy it again. And we want to keep you as our customer. Well, a question here about artificial intelligence. As a marketing expert, Overton, how can some of our our progressive people, people of, of in the struggle of fighting for for our freedom, whether it be the Nation of Islam, whether it be the, the Black Panthers, or whatever group that's out there, how can they capitalize on using artificial intelligence and make it work for us? Well, the first thing is just like you said earlier about the different classes that are being offered. Take those classes, learn the information. You can. It's, I'm going to say it's not rocket science. It's science in a sense, but it's not something that is something we can't do. But if we don't educate ourselves on how to use it, then that's where the problem starts. That all progressives can take those kinds of classes and figure out, okay, we can write algorithms that go after this audience. You see what I'm saying? So we have to educate ourselves on how to use computer systems and artificial intelligence. We've done that before. I mean, just like now, there's many black uh, programmers and code writers and things of that nature. But we have, before then, it was very little people. And now there's a lot of people that's in that business. So now we have to go to the next chapter, which is AI, which means we have to bring in the younger people who are in college now, in high school right now, in junior high school right now, and impact upon them to go into the computer sciences. Because that's where it's at. That's, computer sciences is basically AI. That's the school for AI. It's computer science because everything is based on the computer. And so everything that they're going to learn how to adapt and use AI starts in the computer science course. That's the building block of it. Just like if you were an athlete and you went to the basketball court every day, that's where you're going to hone your skill at. Well, in AI, you're going to hone your skill in the computer science realm. So you learn right. how to talk, how computers speak to each other, and how to input the information. Because I always like to tell people, they're not... It's artificial for a reason. That means someone else is programming it to think. It will eventually think on its own after it gets enough information, but it will never be able to think independently of human beings. Not as long as at this moment in time I can say that now. 100 years from the day, that could be a whole different situation. But as we speak right now, it needs human input to make any type of information come out to you. Right. And Brother Sadiq has told us that uh, the transhumanism, that's what we're calling man and the fusion between man and machine. And that's uh, yeah. and that's, that's also making its way yeah. uh, 12 yeah. away from the top of the hour, Overton. And uh, let me reiterate that one of our listeners has said that they, they, these, these courses are free. And there's one at Harvard yeah. and several at Harvard. So you young people out there, we need you to get involved in this because we don't want the other side to be doing it and start programming and then we keep wondering why we, the cycle continues why we can't get out of this cycle because this is the future artificial yeah. intelligence ai yep that's the future and I, I i was enjoying the conversation you had earlier with the young lady miss parlor and she was spreading some really good information out there about what these companies do and how they do it because they have all different ways of not giving you information or getting information or programming you to buy their product and not programming other communities to buy their products. And so, I mean, I've been in the marketing and, and advertising business for a long time, and I like to hear what she said because I had a similar experience myself in the sense of when I first came out of college back in the 70s, they weren't hiring African-Americans in advertising agencies. You weren't getting hired, you know, not at the level you're getting hired today. 
that's why you see more African-Americans in commercials. That's why you see more products that are geared more friendly to African-American involvement because there are people who look like us now sitting in those rooms making, helping to make those decisions. Prior to 1970s, 1980s, I would really say the 90s, there was none of us in there. That's why you didn't see the, you know, us in ads or you didn't see us in favorable light and you saw different products being pushed to our community, especially the alcohol. I mean, that was pushed so hard into our communities, and it caused great damage. Because alcohol, you know, I have nothing against alcohol in the sense of if you wanted to drink it or not. But you have to look at the damaging effects that it has on certain communities. And that's what we, that, that's what a byproduct of advertising that product to our community so strongly when you didn't advertise educational programs to our community in the same depth and persuasion. All right, so turn away from let me jump in here. Turn away from the top there. Since we're talking about commercials, I've noticed a lot of uh, old songs, old records that they mm-hmm. use, you know, just parts of the record. I, I, I know that's not by accident. Can yep. you explain what were they doing? We're using these, these uh, what we call in the business jingles uh, for these records uh, the, 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 to sell their products? You know, when you think about it, the jingles that they're using are music that, even though certain people didn't say they listened to it, they listened to it. Everybody. You can go almost anywhere in any crowd of people and ask about the Temptations, and people will tell you about the Temptations. Now, you talk to a person who's, let's say, 75 years old, and say, oh, I used to listen to the Temptations when I was growing up. And you say to yourself, that was in the 1950s. There wasn't a great, you know, arm opening for African-Americans then. But our music, our, just our whole entertainment persona is now being retrofitted to go back and enlighten people of the so-called good old days when you hear music that you remember from the 70s and the 60s and things of that nature. And like you said, they only use a snippet of it, but that's what your mind, remember I said earlier about being programmed with information. Well, if you hear that song over and over on the radio, it's now programmed in your mind. And at that time in your life, that was a good time in your life. It brings back the good time feeling that you had. So now you listen to the product. That's the whole idea. The, the jingle is to keep you listening. If it was a song you didn't like, or with a breakup song or something like that, nature, you might turn the commercial off. But if it was a good time in your life, the jingle would keep you listening to the ad. Because again, I go back and tell people, advertisement is based on psychology, it's based on philosophy, it's based on a lot of the humanities of how to talk to people. That's all it is. That's all it is. And the song is tar- targeted to a certain age demo as well, because yeah. they know they play a black song. And I'm just thinking of a, I haven't heard it in a commercial, but I was just thinking about Jeannie Knight, Mr. Big Stuff. Say they played just a, you know, a hook from that song. The people who grew up and heard that song are now at a certain age. Is that, yeah. is that how, is that how it's determined they yeah. want to reach those folks at that age? Yes, because you know, just like you said, Mr. Big Stuff is not going to work for uh, a 21 year old, a 19 year old. Say that they have no. There's no connection to them. And they may like the beat or something of that nature, but they won't understand the, the small jingle stanza that would be used. But you and I and other people who grew up in that age would understand what they're talking about. It's almost like I, I saw someone say before we were doing some marketing campaign, and it's funny you should say that. They used, they put that out there for a towel, you know, paper towels. They actually said, okay, what if we just put the jingle Mr. Big Stuff and put it on a paper towel, meaning if you have a big spill or big something, this product called Mr. Big Stuff can come in and clean it up. Just like simple. That's what people, it was presented. It, I don't know if it, it made it or not, but that's what it presented to people. Just those type of things 
that rel- that just comes to your mind that it brings you back to a happy time in your life. And that's what they want to use the music for. And that's what we, and our community is definitely using our music all across the board. I mean, yeah, I noticed that. I don't hear any other, well, I don't know much about other folks, I mean, rock or, or opera or anything like that in these commercials. I hear a lot of us. So when I hear that, I say, oh, they're coming after us. Now, I'll I, I share this with you. You may see it. I, I'm not going to say it. It's a car company that has a, a African-American man and, a, and a, a Caucasian woman driving same kind of product cars, but different versions of the car. And you won't, at the end of it, the music they use is Elvis's music. They're selling electric cars. Okay, who would they? Who would listen to? Who would know Elvis's music? Not the average nineteen and twenty year old, right? You know, so they that subliminally they're putting that song out there to to get at a certain market that would know Elvis's song. So just that little glimmer like that is all part of the psychological enhancement of the commercial saying we really want to go after these people right here because the people who don't know Elvis, we don't really care about them. We're not mm. trying to market it. We're marketing to the person that knows Elvis. That's fifty, nineteen fifty person that we're trying to right. buy electric car. And, and hold that thought right there. And speaking about uh, Elvis, Marcus in Memphis has a question for you. Where we, I'll let you pose it when we get back. We got to take a short break. Also, Leroy sent a, a tweet for you as well. Over oh, six minutes away from the top of the hour, we got to check in with the latest traffic and weather in our different cities and the news for our listeners in Baltimore. We'll be back in four minutes, though, right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. Good morning, family. Minute after the top of the hour, momentarily we're speaking with Chairman Fred, but right now we're on with marketing expert Overton Wilkins discussing what AI, artificial intelligence, is doing, making the changes they're doing uh, to to the industry. So before we go to the chairman, though, Marcus is calling us from Memphis. He wants to speak to Overton. He's on line three. Good morning, Marcus. Carl, good morning, and good morning to your guests. Um, I just want to add to on the back end of artificial intelligence too is the technicians that repair um, those um, you know that, that that machine and that field really we really need to break into that field because if you can do basic algebra if you can get our youth to do basic algebra. They could get into a field that when they graduate from the little two-year technical college, they start at $38 an hour. You know, so, so we should look into that field to um, electrical engineering technicians. And all the, it's a two-year program in probably in a local um, um, college. You check it out and get into that field because... I know of companies here in Memphis that are seeking talent and they're starting at $30 to $40 an hour. All right. Thanks, He's Marcus. Correct. He's correct on that. Like, just like any other thing, you buy a car, house, anything of that nature, you need plumbers, you need carpenters, you need, uh, you know, all, all the things that make those things run. Because eventually they will break down. And just like the gentleman said, you're going to need technicians. You don't have to be a cold writer, but you can be a cold repairer. And that's what that's those are fields that we need to be advocating our young people to to look into. And again, I don't have 
excuse me, anything negative about any other type of academic um, discipline, discipline. But I would advocate to young people because I've seen it myself that they need to get into these fields because that is going to be the growing field because other fields are going to be eaten up by AI. A lot of things that people think they're going to be able to do that they're doing now on social media, anything of that nature, AI is going to take over that. It's going to take it over. Right. Now, Overton, I got a, a question for you from a, uh, one of our listeners in Louisiana. It says, uh, please ask him about the firing of the head of the open AI, the guy who basically invented the way these corporations are using AI. They will worry that it might be proceeding, uh, proceeding too fast against humanity. And also ask him, ask you, do you, do you, do, ask you for me, my question, do I worry that an AI announcer might re- replace me in the future on WOL? No, not at all. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I've done a lot, so it doesn't matter if it ends tomorrow. I'll just leave that there. So I'm the concerned about AI replacing me at WOL. But his question about the firing of the guy who invented it is because he says it was going to, it's going too fast. They can't control it. Your response to that? Well, AI, well, the people realize AI was invented in 1956. It's been around for a while, in the sense of the information from paper to computer. So it started out as paper product in the sense of research, information like that. AI developed into the computer system. Once computers became available, then that information was ingested into those computers. So his firing is more the fact that, how can you say it, of the person that the three, like, I, I, I like to try to break it down so people can see. People don't remember basketball used to didn't have a three-point shot, okay? So now they have a three-point shot. Well, if you grew up when there wasn't a three-point shot, then you understand basketball has changed. Well, that's the same thing with that gentleman. He's moving a three-point shot into the computer system, meaning it's taking over faster than they wanted it to because the opportunities are there. I mean, you already you already been programmed. I say programmed, I mean, you've already been introduced to ChatNet. You've already been introduced to Siri. Those things, that's AI. That's the, the basics of AI. That's your beginning of what you call human interaction where you can say on the phone, Hi, this is Carl Nelson. This computer said, "Thank you, Carl. Uh, thank you for calling. Is this the number you're calling from? You've you've been using that now for the last couple of years. That's AI. That's the actual. That's not a human voice. That's somebody's programmed a voice into it. But that's not a person that you can say, oh, that's Carl Nelson's voice, or that's Overton Wilkins' voice. No, it's a computer-generated voice that is based on different people, all combined into one. It may sound yeah. strange, but that's what it is. And you're already being put into that situation, you go into the grocery store now, you have self-checkout. That's another form of AI, identification of that. There's all, it's already being there. It's just that it's moving so fast now that you can take AI and combine it with robotics. Now you can have a, a machine that thinks it can fix a car and can work on you. I mean, if you get a knee operation anytime soon, it's not being done by the doctor. It's being done by a computer. The doctor is there to make sure if anything goes wrong, it's there to step in. But the machine is actually doing the work. It's going to, right. it's going to make sure. And they got machine, yeah. machines making houses, machine making guns. Yeah. You know, the machines yeah. are doing everything. Yeah, ghost guns. But well, let me just add in for Leroy and for the folks who who were in the business, the radio business, because he asked about, because me, uh, you know, I've, I've, I'm, I'm a long way down the road. For the people getting in this business, those are the ones should be concerned, because, yeah, yeah, you will be yeah. you, you will be replaced. I mean, even even in the, that's, again, I go back to the writer's strike and actors. Well, you know, you can generate, you know, these new television shows you see coming out. They're not going to be 
actual people. And people say, how can you do that? Well, if you play those new digital games like uh, uh, Command and, you know, uh, I forget, uh, there's one very popular war one that they have. I don't like to mention that one, but it's a very popular war one. If you look at it and, oh, take it back, 2K, the, you know, basketball and football, if you look at it, what it looked like 15 years ago and look at it now, the people almost exactly look like the athletes. Before it was like, ah, uh, you know, look kind of, you know, robotic and weird. But now they actually flow like real people. If you look at it, if you play those games like the young people do, it looks like, you know, look like uh, LeBron James looks like just like LeBron James, and AD looks just like AD, and you know, they look just like who they are because that is a program by AI that is taking that information and put it onto the computer screen, and now generates a real life-like component of you. And then, like, and some of those people are not real. You know, LeBron James are real people, but those other characters you see on those types of uh, digital games—they're not real people. They're generated people using different facets of other people and combining them to one person. Right. That's what you get. And over to we got cut it loose here. We we just about flat out of time here with you because Chairman Fred is on deck. We get to a moment tell. But if folks want to find out more about marketing and especially with the new venture with AI, how do they reach you? Uh, well, you know, our company, we do media consulting for people. We actually sit down with people and show them the best products and the best ways to, you know, enhance their products. They can reach me at Wilkin55 at packbell.net. That's Wilkin without an F and number 55 at packbell. That's P-A-C-B-E-L-L.net. And I'd be happy to, you know, speak to them and just mention the fact that you heard me on Carl Nelson's show and I'll give them a 30-minute a free consultation on, you know, certain things that they want to find out about. I'd be happy to do that because I believe, right. in, like you said, passing on the information. Can't keep that's it with what, you. That's what we got to do. Can't take it to the grave. Thank you, Overton. Thank you for sharing you, all Carl. your information with us this morning. Well, great. Thank you for having me, Carl, and I look forward to speaking to you again. All right. Ten after the top they are. Chairman Fred, free them all. Chairman Fred's on line four. Free them all. Free them all. Yeah, free them all. That's what we're going to do. And Chairman Fred, I see you got some friends with you. Uh, can you t- t- introduce your friends on the panel this morning? McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Well, I can't, uh, on the call there? Yeah, we got Gator. Okay, 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 right on. The word is put out. I can't. It's a number of people calling. Another people calling in. So uh, 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 I can't say specifically who all we got. Uh, all right, I'll tell you who we have. We have Gator okay. uh, from Chicago. We have got Pastor David from right Chicago, and wow, we've got right uh, 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 Samara Rice, uh, uh, Tamara Rice's mother from Cleveland as well. Wow. So we got. Hey. Yes. Hey. Yes. Hey. Hey. Yes. Indeed. Yes. Right on. Grandma. Yes. Grandma. Grandma, y'all. Right on. 
Yeah, yeah, oh. William Maud. It's Khalid. Oh, uh, Khalid as well. Okay. A lot of it. Let, let me start with Tamir Rice, though. Uh, be, be, uh, Tamir, Tamir, uh, good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm, sure I'm doing okay. I'm doing all right. Thanks for asking. Yeah, Tamir's, and this is Tamir's mom and, and, and family. You know what happened to her, her, her son. And now this yeah. this time of the year, that's what I'm asking you, how are you doing? Because, uh, you, you know, after all the cameras are already gone now, because yeah. I remember when it happened, everybody's chasing you, trying to get an interview with you and trying to figure out what was going on, you know, but, yeah. but now it, it sort of died down. So that's why I'm asking, how are you doing? Yeah, it's doing, I'm doing for the most part as best as I can do. We're um, just getting through Tamir's ninth anniversary, um, November 22nd. Um, so, you know, I'm still fighting for justice. I'm still pushing on hard and things like that. Well, thank, well thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And, and, and you know, we're behind you. Because what, what happened to Tamir, it's just, uh, you know, it just, should, just shouldn't have happened, just straight up, just shouldn't have happened. But that's, that's, that's the world we live in today. But uh, thank you, thank you. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that you, you're okay. And, you know, I know you're not really okay because when you lose a child at that age, especially at that age, uh, yeah. and especially the way it happened, and, mm-hmm. and then it's, it seems like nothing happened to the people who did it. So, I, no. uh, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. So, so I'm I'm just glad you're dealing. You've you figured out how to deal with it. But Chairman Fred, uh, tell us what's going on here. Well, first, first and foremost, let me let me say you know free among, and I appreciate you know uh, coming on here. But I, I um, Pastor David gave us Samir Rice. I mean, if you just uh, touched on um, reality. Is a lot of people you know they, we we still, we deal with day to day struggles every day. And I just, I, I appreciate, I'm humbled. I'm humbled and honored uh, to be a servant of the people. Um, this, 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 uh, we come, we are coming up on the, uh, December the 4th will be the 54th year after the assassinations of Chairman Frey and Defense at the Mar Club. And um, I can't, I, I, I can't articulate, you know, how, for, you know what I'm saying, like, uh, how people come, you know, how, how, without even a flyer, the fly, without the flyers a, a notice. How people automatically uh, December fourth and August thirty for two key dates, and not only do the people remember this, the state remembers it. Again, not only do the people remember, the state remembers it. Um, it's like like clockwork, you know. Uh, I was just coming this morning around four thirty. Uh, I, I woke up. I said, we, uh, every day, uh, 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 um, me and my mother, we still to this day, we still wake up around four thirty, four thirty-five in the morning, and we it, it, we didn't make the connection to a few years back um, that. Ironically, this is around the same time that the assassinations uh, occurred on the west side of Chicago. And Chairman Fred, hold that thought right there, because we got to take a short break. And I got to shout out to your mama, Kua Njiri, one of our strong soldiers. I know she had a birthday a few days ago, so belated happy yeah. birthday to your mom. I know she's listening as well. But let's take this short break and we'll come back. I'll let you finish your thought. We'll talk to the other folks as well. You want to join this conversation with our panel with Chairman Fred and his friends? Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. We'll take a look at the traffic and weather in our different cities. And we'll be back in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. In the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. And good morning again, family. 21 minutes after the top of the hour with Chairman Fred Hampton, and he's got a panel of folks with him as well. We're talking about this time of the year. Chairman Fred, you said that it's really special because of what happened to your dad and Mark Clark. I'll let you finish your thought. 
Yes, I, I was coming in regards to uh, 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 expressing my appreciation to people who, you know, go, to, go through day-to-day struggles from, you know, saying their sons and daughters being murdered, the people being locked up, uh, come throughout the world, you know, again, throughout the world, because uh, December 4th references uh, IRD, International Revolutionary Day. Uh, it's, it's a day that in particular, uh, 12 o'clock Chicago time, whether people are locked up in prisons um, slash concentration camps, whether they stop, they do the clinch bit salute, we convene, right, is what we refer to as ground zero on West, where, this, where assassinations occurred. What you say, 21-year-old Chairman Fred, 22-year-old Defense Captain Mark Clark, uh, were two of our twin towers that quote-unquote failed. Um, let me say this. Um, that's the folk. That, that's that, that's, that's uh, uh, I mentioned earlier. Every you know, every time around this year, we we expect you know, it's an intensifying counterinsurgency. And for those who are not familiar with that term, the counterinsurgency, um, um, in particular, the infamous COINTEL program, the counterintelligence program. That you know, saying that was that was, that was the program um, that result that that, that um, was was responsible in particular for the assassination of Chairman Fred and the Pinkett and Mark Clark and so many others. You know, such so as Mumia Abu Jamal and other political prisoners still being held captive and straight out, you know, obliterating you know, say, uh, uh, military defeated the Black Power movement. Um, the, I, I did not romanticize this day to look just look back in a sort of nostalgic way and say, well, this is how bad things used to be back in the '60s. We are continuously reminded, you know, saying, uh, whether it be by naivety and the nefarious intent attacks uh, on our movement, attack our legacies. Um, we said legacy is more important than your life. Um, in particular, I'll come up on, uh, on, on this will be the 54th year. Uh, we, again, we anticipate attacks, you know, saying, uh, directly, indirectly, overtly, and covertly. And um, there's been some discussions in, regard, in regards to. Um, um, some old wounds have been resurfaced in particular. Uh, there's, uh, there's some discussion in regards to uh, landmark um, status of you know, some, some of the sites of the Black Panther Party. And, and, and from the naked eye, um, people, a lot of people say from initial, initial view, say that's a, good, that's a good thing. However, we, I'm real delicate and I'm real particular on how, you know, you know, what I give light to, what I give attention to. And what, what's, what's thus being, and people saying, Chan, what's your position about this here? And I try to be as objective as I can. Uh, uh, However, this is this is further exposed, you know, since some some old uh, war wounds, if if you if you will. Um, And uh, in particular, was brought to our attention. I think about four days ago, uh, I was I was received a call from, um, in fact, out uh, from down south, and they was they seen online an article from Chicago Sun Times. And you know, it, it brought concern to a lot of people. They were saying, "Chan, we've been hearing this buzz, and you're not, you know, you've not responded. You've been, you know, being real professional, political, as you, or as you say, Chan, you to be objective." And they said, "You know, we've been, you know, turning the deaf ear to a lot of slanderous statements that have been made about you, your family, the Black Panther Party." And I, and I said, "Well, I'm, don't take it personally. Everything is political." But this is um, this this particular uh, people's uh, comment about uh, they said some uh, uh, Chicago Sun Times article. And my opposing position uh, in regards to individuals, the prime players, and in fact, it was a quote by Miss uh, Layla Wills that someone said, "Well, man, this, this, this like some slap. This, um, this is straight up attack you know, on you." And I, I, my response is, "You, that's that's pale. That pales in com- comparison to what some of the statements have been said in regards to um, more bigger than my family, the Black Panther Party." And people say, "What is your concern about this?" And I said, "Well." You know, uh, not you, you you look at the, the root, or we say we refer to the principal contradiction. You say, well, these individuals, not to go into details, 
who openly just expressed a disdain for the Black Panther Party. And your next logical question is, why would these, you know, why would these people be, you know, why would these individuals be, you know, fighting to be the helm or the poster child, poster person, uh, uh, for for that name, such as a landmark? And some people say, well, as long as information is got out, regardless who it comes from, it doesn't make a difference. And I, we, we beg to differ. You know, there's the discussion about this whole thing about critical race, critical race theory. Uh, how do you, you know? The, the people say, well, just, we're going to change this word around. We're going to alter this word. And some people just say, well, that's not a big deal. And I caught the heels of the discussion you just had in regards to uh, AI, artificial intelligence. And this, is, uh, with that even being added uh, to the mix, it, uh, you know, it, it, it sets the stage for um, uh, a, a generation of the minimum, a generation of future reactionaries, people who, who are not familiar with the past. And it's, it's one, one, of the, one of the tactics that, that is employed on a colonized people, our people in particular, is to, um, we'll say we can't, uh, as Malcolm X said, we can't stop it, let's co-opt it, water it down, change it, make it something to beat. So that's some of the struggles we've been dealing with. We keep in focus on the main, and keep our eyes on the prize, on acknowledging December 4th, International Revolutionary Day, but we, that, that's something that, you know, people have brought to our attention, and I want to be real careful, you know, what I give light to, what I don't give light, but I want to, you know, definitely acknowledge that, uh, put in context about, because sometimes people, we make it look easy, people think it's easy. They say, well, that's nice, you're going to have an event. You say, oh, don't get it twisted. It does not go uncontested. It does not go uncontested. You know what I'm saying? And these are some of the contested con- conditions that we're dealing with in regards to, you know, uh, the work in general, uh, 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 All right, we got some folks uh, with you, so let's talk to them at 27 after the top of the hour. Let's go to line five. Gator's joining us. He's in Chicago. Good morning, Gator. Hey, hey sir. Hey, Chairman. Good morning, my brother. Good morning, yes, sir. I want to say this is, first of all, like you laid it out, we know about the COINTELPRO. The name of the game and the words of Kupla. We must stay focused. You know what I mean? No doubt. And I watched your growth, man. Yeah, you haven't gave up, man. You got fifty some years or better, and being focused from the womb, and you ain't in the tomb. And my thing is this: we we fighting that AI, like the brother said. Yeah, was in effect in the 50s. You know what I mean? Yeah. Our move is, just like you said, we as African-Americans, as blacks, as once upon a time called niggas, they changed mm. the word because the word had meaning because it showed force. Then they came with the African-American and they watered down the force. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I'm just yeah. saying this. Once I heard what you was going to do, I Thank God for waking me up to get the call from you where you was going to be at. I want to say stay focused. To God be the glory. And that's Gator's story. All right. Thanks, Gator. Uh, 28 after the top there. I'll just keep rolling. There's a bunch of folks before you, uh, Chairman. Eddie is on line one, also in Chicago. Good morning, Eddie. Greetings, my brother. How are you? Good on the scene. How you feel, brother? Yes, sir. Good. Hey. How about you, brother? Greetings, greetings, Chairman. This is Brother Eddie Reed. Oh, so you're right, right on, my brother. Yes, indeed. Let me, great day, you let me say yes, this. Indeed. Let me say yes, sir. Let me say this to the listening audience uh, and to anyone who's uh, out there that can hear our voice. Chairman Fred 
is, first of all, free them all. Free them all. Free them all. And yes, sir, my brother. Free them all. Chairman Fred, my Angelo says, when people show you who they are, believe mm. them. You can yeah. believe this brother because this brother is a warrior. This brother is a freedom fighter. This brother loves our people. This brother stands up. This brother is consistent. So believe who he is when he shows you. And I will close mm. with this. To Mother and Jira, you know how much I love you. And to your listening audience, oh, no. uh, Brother Nelson, I come from an organization, Chicago Black United Communities. It was founded by Baba Luttrell Fleming Palmer, Jr., a man from Newport News, Virginia, a true freedom fighter. He was. I learned about this family truly from Baba Lou yes. Palmer. And Lou Palmer yes. would say it this way, a world without Chairman Fred there and what he represents, is enough to make a Negro turn black. Turn black. Yes. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba da ba ba ba. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. All right. Thank you, Eddie. Thank you for that. 30 minutes after top layout. Thanks, Eddie. Go ahead, Jim. Love and respect. Love and respect to both of these calls to the people in general. I just want to add this, you know, he mentioned my uh, brother, Eddie Reed, who I got love so much uh, and gave love and respect for him. He he just mentioned um, Maya Angelou. And ironically, uh, when the, monu- the, the, the monument to uh, Dr. King was uh, built, Maya Angelou had raised issue about one of the, a quote, a misquote from Dr. Queen, Dr. King. And they had said, she said it was a misquote. She said they had to change, they had to change the word. And she, they said, what's the big deal about the word being changed? You say, it gives the wrong impression of who Dr. King was. And so that's, that's just to reiterate about, about, you know, say about making sure we cross some T's and, 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 and cross some T's and dot them I's. And I, uh, Lou Palmer, who he mentioned, was known as a panther with a pen, a journalist. Georgia English, um, the, the wife of Lou Palmer, that's who, that's after the Saturday the chairman friend, the picture of Mark Clark, she was in Jet Magazine calling, they called for donations to help help me out. And that's who got my first baby bed. So I remember, I remember those names very well. All right. Uh, 29 away from the top there. Pastor David's on line six. Good morning, Pastor David. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Brother Nelson, and to my dear friend. Chairman Fred, uh, this morning is a great day because this is the day that I celebrate my mother's birthday in eternity. And also shout out to my main man, Mr. Larry Hoover. Happy birthday to Larry. But to touch on the subject about legacy, Chairman Fred is devoted to legacy because how can someone even discuss legacy with the son, with the son? It's like somebody arguing with Jesus about who his father is. 
So I feel that it's real inappropriate for anybody to take issue with something that they only heard but have never lived. Chairman Frederick lived his entire life in the absence of his father. It's insulting for somebody to even bring up a subject in such, such a delicate manner. So I say to the chairman, you know better than anybody who you are and what you represent. I've never heard you ever refer to your father as died. He was assassinated. That's character and that's boldness. And whatever you need from Pastor David in this town is all yours. Free them all. And a shout out to to Mother Comrade. Happy birthday again. All right. Thank you, Pastor David. Yeah, I, I wanted to say something, Brother Nelson. Go ahead, Tamir. Yes. I tell you what, hold, no, hold that thought right there because I'm looking at the clock. we got to take a short break, and when we come back, okay. I'll let you say what you have to say. That's Tamara Rice. She's the mother of Tamara Rice. You remember, he got shot by some cops in Cleveland. Cause I have a question for you as well. 800-450-7876. You'd like to speak to her or Chairman Fred or Brother Khalid, reach out to us. We'll take your calls in four minutes after the news, traffic, and weather in our different cities right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 at AM 1450 WOL. Or information is power. Hey, good morning again, family. We're on with Chairman Fred Hampton. Before we go back to the chairman, let me just remind you tomorrow is Friday and we're going to give you a chance to free your mind. Think for yourself and reach out to us in our Open Phone Friday program. We begin promptly at 6 a.m. Eastern Time right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. So right now, Chairman Fred has Samara Rice's with us. She's Tamir Rice's mother. And I, I, I recall that when, when her uh, child got shot by the the police in Cleveland, we call and she was so upset she couldn't speak, but she still wanted to go. And I said, no, let's calm down, you know, just get together. We'll call you back, but we never did. So I'm, I'm glad that you called this morning because I, I completely forgot about it, but I know it, you were very upset and I didn't want that presented on the air. But my question is to you, before you, uh, before you say any of those police officers, any apologize and they said they sorry for, for, for killing your son? No, absolutely not. Um, the shooter actually um, got fired, and the driver is actually um, got suspended for five days in the in that situation. I'm still fighting for indictments for both officers on the state level right now. Um, but thank you for having me this morning. Free them all again to the chairman and everybody that's on the panel. And what I wanted to say about um, the upcoming anniversary of Chairman Fred is um, I'm very grateful and humbled to uh, have met the chairman and Mama Comrade, um, just knowing, being in a presence, that I'm doing the right thing because I also have invested in my community, especially the youth, and not knowing so much about um, um, the movement because if you're not born into it, you don't know about it. It's not taught to you if you're not born into it. So when my son got murdered, it changed my DNA. And from that, I was able to, uh, you know, get a formula where I know that will um, help our children, especially our youth. So um, I'm very humble and grateful to even meet Chairman Fred and Mama Conrad. Um, They're very dear to my heart, and, you know, I'm there for them, and they know that. Um, so I appreciate him reaching out and letting me know about the panel and me being available because, again, I'm still busy around the country doing multiple things and also still fighting for justice for my son. 
um, again. So I just wanted to share that. Also, December 4th is very monumental to me because that's the day of my son's memorial service. At the time, I didn't even know Chairman Fred. I may have heard the stories about um you know, his dad and everything, but I did not know him personally. And December 4th is the day that my son has memorial service in Cleveland, Ohio, and my Sinai um, church. So I just wanted to share that with you all. And again, being in the chairman and Mama Conrad presence assured me that I know that I'm on the right path of righteousness and black liberation. All right. You gotta believe it. You gotta believe yeah. it right on. Just, I'm uh, again, I'm, I'm honored and humbled. Um, we say continue condolences again. We say the people's pain, <clears throat> the people's pain reflects. And again, um, she's a fighter. She, she's a fighter. You know what I'm saying? She, she, been, she, I've been honored and humbled to go to you know, hit the ground with her up there in Ohio. You know what I'm saying? And she, other places throughout the country. You know, I, you know, ironically, I, I recall even when the Winter Points, um, they was filming the, uh, some of the scenes of the movie Judas and Black Messiah uh, in Cleveland. And what kind of warmed me to the one thing with the cast, I said, listen. Uh, I'm going to the event for uh, Tamir Rice, and um, I, and I, I was I was I came I came there, and Tamir Rice she didn't know I was in town, you know. So as so soon as she seen me, she said, "Yo, we got Chairman Fred, come on up." I was in the audience, I was on the stage speaking, and I didn't recognize some of the cast because they were they were out of uh, wardrobe, and uh, the, the, most of the entire cast here came my support, and uh, but this sister here again, man, revolutionary love, and respect, you know what I'm saying, and uh, and, and now that I have met some of the most beautiful people. Under the most ugliest conditions, you know, um, the same system that broke us up and divided us with chains and shackles, and ironically brings us back together. You know, I, and I just got to say that that, that service is on December the fourth. You know, I heard that she told me before, but I, it, it's something. It, it, it still impacts me. All right. And let me just say this, uh, Samara, just one of our listeners tweeted it from Buffalo. He says, tell Miss Rice, we send our love and support f- to her from Buffalo and the chairman as our struggle is the same struggle to victory. Never give up the fight. That's from Brother Ross, gentleman in Buffalo, sent for Samir and Chairman Fred. All right, 16 okay, right away on. Sixteen away from the top. I've got some more folks who want to speak with the chairman. Uh, Khalid is online, too, calling from Chicago. Good morning, Khalid. Yes, sir. Yeah, good morning. To God be the glory. We give our praise to God. We just wanted to uh, give our praise to, to uh, Chairman Fred and Sister Rice in terms of the problems. We're saying that our struggle go from we're going from salvation to salvation. We're also going from independence to independence. Our people have always struggled and had a mighty struggle. When I got out of prison in 1978 of February, and and the, there was a struggle called the Pontiac Brothers that came in Chicago. I'm from Chicago, and then right after that, it was we, December the fourth came, 1978, and we had prayer vigils from that time. At that time, the chairman. He was a small guy, and he wasn't coming out. But so we want to commend this, the chairman Fred, for holding up the, the, the legacy, because our struggle, our historical struggle, is, is is going from independence to independence. We're not going from slavery to independence. We're going from independence to independence. Our people have always struggled. We support the legacy, and any time, any kind of land that we can get as a people. We 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 demand it. We're not asking, and, and we also accent uh, uh, demanding that the Fred Hampton case be reopened uh, because mm-hmm. of the conspiracy by the government uh, to to uh, not only did Fred get assassinated here in, in Chicago, 
but there were 28 other chapters of the Black Panther Party that also uh, uh, got uh, attacked at the same time. And, 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 and as well as the assassination of Malcolm X. So that was documented. I don't want to go on and on, but I, I just want to say we support the, 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 uh, the keep the legacy and the commemoration, power to the people, free, free the land, and stay on the battlefield. All right. Yes, Thanks, Khalid. All right. Right on. All right. 800-450-7876. And we keep moving to 14 away from the top of the hour. Let's go to line five. Zolo. Azania's call us from Cleveland. Good morning, Zolo. How you doing? We're we're excellent. We good on this end. Yes, sir. How you feel, brother? <clears throat> what I <clears throat> I want to emphasize, I'm not going to be uh, uh, add anything that 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 you already haven't already covered. I just want to emphasize and to give you my support that your words and your actions uh, are taking physical form. And things yes. are in process for the for the positive and the betterment of our people, and that <clears throat> the, the sister, what she said that what, what happened to her son Tamir Rice when he was murdered by the police, that she was not born into the the movement, and but she had to learn about it. And this radio program uh, it make, uh, makes my point that this is something yes. that is necessary and straight ahead, success, <clears throat> and free them all. Straight ahead, free them all. all right. We say love. Thank you, Brother Zolo. Uh, Derek's on line one calling from Colorado. I think he has a question. Uh, Derek, good morning. Well, I just have a statement that's living very, reminding him. Of, I, I remember that Tamir Rice. But also, uh, there's a, there, there's five, there were five people that, there, that, that were involved with that Elijah McLean in Colorado, Aurora. But they have two of the, uh, uh, two of the, uh, the uh, paramedics are being tried right now. And hopefully everything turns out right. They've already convicted one police officer. Uh, two were uh, uh, were not found guilty or anything else like that. But that's letting you know that uh, even though in Colorado these type of things are are happening, and, and like you said, that was uh, um, very tragic with his uh, uh, what happened to uh, Elijah McClain. So these things just aren't happening and. All, they're happening all across the country and everything. Yeah. And uh, so he showed it on 60 Minutes. All right. Yeah. Thanks, Derek. Thank right you on. for sharing yeah. that with us. That trial is going yeah. on right now. Uh, let me ask Samir this. When you hear like trials like that, Samir, does, does it open the wound about Tamir when you do we hear the young people, young black people getting killed by the police? Does, does that make it, does that, you, do you relive that, that whole incident with your son? Absolutely, because they um, go to my son's um, story first, and his name is always mentioned. So, um, of course, it always opens up a wound, and knowing that I have other children um, that's watching, you know, I always have to uh, make sure that their emotions and feelings is okay at the end of the day, um, because it's not easy for your child to be mentioned um, all the time in the media and things like that. Um, very sad what happened to uh, um, the McLean um, young man. Um, Again, we live in a world of racism, and America is known for committing genocide and conspiracy on black and brown people. And um, recently, they have just been found guilty by the United Nations. So hopefully, um, you know, somebody will be accountable, be accountable, uh, be accountable for 
of all of this conspiracy and genocide that's been happening in this country over 400 years. So it's always going to be an open wound. You know, it's never going to stop. You know, it's never, it don't feel like it's never going to heal when you're constantly on the front lines and you're constantly seeing no officers indicted. You know what I'm saying? No accountability. You know, where's the accountability for these uh, racist officers and and things like that? So it's always going to be a problem. Yeah. And Chairman, yeah, yeah, and Chairman yeah. Fred, you, you know, we we see that happen to her son, and he was just playing with a toy gun. It's not the fact that they they so much that they murdered him. The fact they got off, and and, yeah. and with Trayvon Martin, same thing, got off. Yeah. So yeah. how how do we how do we process all this though? Because this is what you do. You work on the streets of Chicago every day as black people. Though, how do we process they killing our babies and 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 getting away with it? It's difficult, it's difficult to process, you know, because um, mm-hmm. the last call just said, you know, you know, Elijah was playing every day, you know, I mean, continuously reminded, as you know, what the social media just conversation, it can become demoralizing. Sada Shakura has said one of the things about being oppressed, you have to continuously be able to, dist- be able to distinguish what's normal and what's abnormal. I mean, mm-hmm. after a while, we still we, we take this as this as being the norm, but um, the this. I think it's an old axiom that says that knowing is half the battle. Because they, 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 not, they not, not only murdered us, they, they flipped the script and they criminalized the victim. You know what I'm saying? They, you know, go back and, was well, this person the gang or this person, you know, do you have a gun, so on and so forth? That's an added wound. That's an added hit. And then they come, they, they rewrite the narrative. You know what I'm saying? So just even uh, putting it, you know what I'm saying, acknowledging it. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's embarrassing being oppressed. But it's a certain amount of, Cleansing, or you know, saying just to acknowledge, no, 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 you, this system is a criminal. You know, it's kind of like I think about that case of uh, Philando Castillo when uh, 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 Diamond Diamond Lavish Reynolds when she was in the car, and when he and when he killed him, when, when, uh, you know, uh, when he killed the brother, he cut the police was right there. He was trying to change the narrative, literally, like on live, right there. He said, no, she said, no, you murdered him. And we have people who are courageous enough to submit rights and so many others. You know what I'm saying? The Dorothy Holmes and countless other mothers, you know what I'm saying? Cassandra Gill, who, you know what I'm saying, her husband killed in Cook County Jail. That's just even acknowledging it. You know what I'm saying? Because one of the, 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 the disadvantages that we have as a people, there's a non-acknowledged war on us. Other communities at least have the benefit of they saying that they have political prisoners, that they're saying they're using propaganda bombs. It's acknowledged. It's acknowledged that there's, that there's a war on them. With us, they call it love and hip-hop. With us, they call them someone just passed away. With us, they say, well, we're just son of the gang. They sidetrack us. So just, it's a cleansing, it's, it's, it's to, to at least uh, acknowledge, to call the question, say, no, you, you know what I'm not to even get sidetracked. I'm trying to figure out, would my son have a gun? Is he in the gang? Or did he, did, did he, um, did he, did he uh, fail sixth grade? Whatever the case, continuously criminalizing the, uh, the, the victim. So that's just to up the ante. We have to, we have to, we have to hold the line. Make sure we cross them T's and dot them I's. I don't care how long you go. The narratives, to be very, mm-hmm. we are servants of the people and servants of history. Make sure we get the narrative correct. Right. Yeah, and not only not only that, Chairman, that you know, they put the poison in the neighborhoods for us to have access to. Why they can't put positive things in the neighborhood, yeah. neighborhoods in the community for us to have access to? So the system is the problem. It's broken all around. And, um, you know, we we not putting crates of guns in the alleyways. We ain't um, giving, um, we not, you know, it's liquor stores on every corner and and things like that. Like, that stuff yeah. is 
put in our neighborhoods. You know what I'm saying? They can put all that poison in our neighborhoods. They need to put some positivity in our neighborhood so we can have a chance to change. So I'm I'm with the chairman on that, and it's just the same that, you know, there's no accountability, and we are overlooked, and they could call us super predators. Yeah, well, you give give us the tools and and things like that and poison our neighborhood and poison our children and stuff like that and our man and woman. So, yeah, you're going to call us super predators, but for real, the white races are the super predators. Believe that. All right. All right. And with that, we got to get out of here. But thank you, Samara. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm just pleased that you're, you know, that you, you sounded much better than the last time we had a conversation. And also, Chairman yeah. Fred, free, yes. the, free them all. Let's free, free them, them all. all. Yo, make, yo, December 4th, we're going to be at Ground Zero, 12 o'clock noon, high noon. To, to, uh, tap in. To, uh, 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 we're doing a Zoom party for Mother Conrad and Frederica Newton tomorrow, December first. Excuse me, December the first, a birthday, a Zoom right. party. Go on my page on Facebook, get updates on that. Happy related birthday to Pam Africa, uh, Mother Conrad, Gorgeous, Mr. Larry Hoover, um, and, uh, all those past birthdays. Also, say cool, Dinka, man. We got a right. campaign. You, you need help for us, y'all. What's the call? Free them all. Right. All right. Thank you, Fred, Chairman Fred. We get really late. We got to run out of here. Happy birthday to Mother Akua. Folks, stay strong. Stay positive. Please stay healthy. We'll see you tomorrow morning, 6 o'clock, right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. In the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power.